0: My friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I don't want to be your
1: buddy, but just want a little breakfast.
2: Hello, Hello. <laughs> welcome to Breakfast Punk podcast, a podcast about weird shit, DIY punk and trashy movies brought to you by Shamzy Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts from Hastings. I'm Siobhan
3: and I'm Dave. And on this episode, we're going to be doing the second part of our secret rulers of the world episode. So I would say if you haven't listened to episode 11, you should probably go back and listen to that first because this is just going to be a continuation really we're also going to be uh thankfully this isn't a continuation we're going to be uh, <laughs> we're going to be reviewing two headed shark attack from 2012
2: so uh this week we have eaten some delightful food because we finally ventured out of the house and <laughs> <laughs> went to a cafe woohoo um which has been actually really nice we went down to St Mary in the Castle here in Hastings they've got a lovely cafe they're a really cool building it's like a um mm. It's built into the side of the cliff. It was it's got a church a of
3: some sort, right?
2: Yeah, I don't know. We've
3: never been in the back. It's crazy. We've been here like no. five years. We've never been in the back. They put got, gigs on and stuff.
2: Yeah, that's it. They've got a big like hall, haven't they, yeah. for like events and stuff. And they've got a crypt where they uh, put up their restaurant and cafe bit as well.
3: We did eat in the crypt once on Halloween. Halloween, ooh. ooh.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, we went there and they do a lovely <laughs> vegan kind of breakfasty thing. Mm. Some scrambled tofu on toast, some avocado yeah. on toast. Ooh. We sound very... I don't know, millennial horrors. (laughs) (laughs) Not that either of us are.
3: But, um, I mean, we both Am I a millennial? We both are. Are we? I am by a year and you are like, you are a proper millennial. Oh, am I? I don't really understand this age uh, definition. What did you think you were? I don't know.
2: I don't know. (laughs) In the millennium so i thought that that was that's when you were not born. how it
3: works at all <laughs> is it when
2: you are like it's experiencing
3: kind of, the world it's well it doesn't really make any sense it's kind of when you come. not carla i know too much about this so this could be the whole podcast uh, but, um <laughs> it's kind it's when yeah it's kind of when you come of age but it doesn't really make sense millennials start depending on who you ask either in 1980 or 1981 or 1982
2: oh and you say 1980
3: no no but that is one of them okay but uh, you're um, not by the am, only one. that's I am on the. I, I was born in 1980. For the listeners, for the ladies and gentlemen at home, <laughs> for the ladies. <laughs> so uh, not for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> certainly Sorry. not. Um, certainly not. But uh, yeah, so I'm an Xennial. Oh, which is a mixture of Generation X and Millennial mm-hmm. because I'm on the cusp. You are
2: okay, and it isn't.
3: An, it is an official term. Oh, okay, people. I think it's between 78 and 82. It's people that are. Confused by computers, you are, confused. but also <laughs> capable of using them. That's Ooh. my understanding. It's much deeper than that, but I don't want to go on about it for ages. Well,
2: I've seen you uh, edit this podcast. It's questionable whether you are <laughs> capable of using computers. Actually, no, you are definitely. Just don't delete it. Um So anyway, back to St Mary in the Castle. Delicious <laughs> Very breakfast. Delicious. Yeah. We've just been in the sea for the first time this year as well. Yeah,
3: so we're both feeling a little bit like I think we're, a bit hippie-ish. hippyish. <laughs> No, we've long had long.
2: our avocado on toast, our scrambled tofu. We've God, been how how exani of us? Oh my gosh!
3: <laughs> but thankfully, we've got some caffeine to try yes. and perk us up so that we'll actually make it through the next sixteen hours or however long this oh, uh, no, this podcast is going to last. So, in this episode, we're drinking a Hardlines coffee. Hardlines are a coffee roasters based in Cardiff, in Wales. And we're drinking their house party, single origin Brazilian, uh, which is kind of like a medium roast. And it's very delicious. Very
2: smooth. And hopefully it's
3: going to fill us with caffeine and Mm -hmm. make us capable of doing this. (laughs) Um, But before all of that, something else which I think will wake everybody up is the first song that we're going to play, which is by an amazing band from France. They used to be based in Belgium, but they've just moved to France called Attack. It's from their new album, What the Fuck is Under the Spotlight, <laughs> which is out via 12 DIY labels. 12 different labels have put this album out. Wow. Um, but you can also get it direct through their band camp. Uh, most of it's up there now. I think when I was chatting with them, I think there were still a couple of songs that they haven't actually put up yet, but I think it's all there now. It's a fucking brilliant album. So this is Matrak Attack, and the song is called Psychiatria Assassina. <laughs>
0: i <laughs> the
3: To the breakfast punks podcast uh, my first piece of news is uh, frankly all about me so Woo! i'm just going to kick off with a bit of a, David a bit of a dave, a dave update um <laughs> so first of all uh, sham city roasters wise um i've just released a new cold brew concentrate um we used to do cold brew uh, a couple of years ago and uh, we were always doing it in the cafe mm. and it always went down really well and i was sending it through the post but royal mail managed to smash it a lot so, I, so after a while, I just gave up on the fucking thing. Um, but I've, uh, I've, I've, I've uh, worked out a way to actually send it through the post successfully now. It's got Woo-hoo! different packaging. yeah, um, And also, we've changed it up a little bit. So we used to do a cold brew that was just like, you could just drink. But now we're doing a cold brew concentrate. Each bottle's got 500 mils in it, which is basically 10 sort of espresso strength shots of cold brew. Uh, You can use that to do lots of different things with... uh, You can just make really delicious cold brew by uh, mixing it with water. But you can also make espresso martinis. You can do all sorts Mm. of milky frothy shit with it if you want.
2: Milky frothy (laughs) Delish. We love an espresso martini down here. That was a cool fest. It's like the drink of choice on the second and third day.
3: I think that's called having a hangover, but also wanting to get drunk again. No,
2: but it's the most (laughs) wonderful... I've never had one before until... What's a cool fest? I think the first year we went... And just looking around on the second day, and watching all these crusty punks drinking espresso martinis <laughs> at like one pm, I was yeah. like, this is this is very unusual, but it's definitely become a routine for that festival every year. The
3: first, which I love. <laughs> it, was, it was totally different, but um, pie race. They have. We've. I feel we might have talked about this on the on the podcast before, but they have espresso tequila.
2: Yes. No, isn't it? Um, coffee sand Oh, is it tequila or sambuca? It's just, no, it's tequila, is isn't tequila. it? Yeah.
3: And uh, cool. Fuck me. That's good as well. And
2: bloody Mary shots. Yeah. Jesus anyway, Christ, this what are these festivals? Is, well this doing is how you've us. got
3: to get through. I mean, you know, we're not getting any younger, are we? We're all exennials. We're style.
2: not getting any younger <laughs> because we're drinking espresso martinis <laughs> and over um, three bloody or four mary shots period. as the recovery
3: drinks so. <laughs> anyway we're all looking forward to getting back to that once yeah the i can't wait. Over, let's be honest
2: gonna be lush.
3: um so also just a, another thought that i had about sham city races which i don't think i have uh mentioned on the podcast at all is that uh this morning on the way to uh swimming in the sea i dropped in some coffee to wow and flow oh, yeah, um yeah. who are an amazing record shop and they have a little cafe area and they uh serve my coffee well, so hey. i just thought i'd give them a shout out. And let everybody know that if you are in Hastings and you actually want to go and drink some Sham City Roses as opposed to buy from us online, yeah. you can go there. And,
2: go say hello to Tim and Susan. Yeah, woo-woo.
3: and also buy loads of records from there because it's a fucking great place. Oh, they're so cool. And one very quick piece of Dave news. <laughs> um, my old band, The Dead Anyways. Woop whoop. Yep, definitely not Juggalos.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> although you did play with the Juggler Band once, but anyway, enough oh, said about fuck. that. Oh fuck, we did bar. play with the Juggler Band once. said about that? I don't remember said about
3: that. I can't remember what, they, what um, their name was.
2: Twist. No, they weren't called twisted. Was,
3: <laughs> <laughs> was it the insane
2: clown posse? Weren't
1: um, <laughs> you a gathering of the
2: jugglers? <laughs> anyway,
3: we did we did admittedly play with the juggalo back. <laughs> but anyway, we're not playing with the juggalo <laughs> they had band a on this again. carpet. But <laughs> I mean, so they, they
2: laid down. I
3: and mean, they did. Anyway, Only one of them was a juggalo though. The rest of them looked like normal boys, and then there was just one who gone say f- normal. full.
2: Uh, well, Apologies, the, they might be listening.
3: More normal than the clown boy that was at the front. Just the
2: one clown boy. Anyway, Anyway, I've
3: actually remembered their name, but I'm not gonna say it because no, 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 them now. Um so the Dead Anyways uh were offered a gig. And um we haven't played a gig in I think about four years. Um we, uh, we put out an album five years ago, and that was the last time that we were fully active. Mm. Um, that album actually very recently has been put up on Spotify, so if anybody wants to check us out, you can go on Spotify and look up The Dead anyways. But we are reforming for Ooh. two gigs, one of which hasn't been announced, so I'm not going to ruin that. I'll save that for a future day Oh, gig. yeah, future day. But Dave. the second one, uh, which <laughs> could well be the last ever, I <laughs> <can> <laughs> imagine, uh, is going to be on the 11th of December, and we're supporting Culture Shock in Hastings at Crowley's. And there's Ooh. another band playing that gig as well, who have confirmed. Yeah. What's that other band you all?
2: They're called Comeback Clip. And they're tell they're us about cool. Comeback Clip, would you? Oh, gosh. Um, so me and some of my buddies have finally decided to try and be in a band. And it's quite hilarious. You're not
3: trying to be in a band, you're in a
2: band. Yeah, technically we're in a band. We haven't played any gigs yet. Everyone's
3: only technically in a band.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we've got some gigs confirmed. Uh, We're playing the basement show for What's a Cool Fest, Mm -hmm. which is going to be our first ever gig.
3: And it's also going to be fucking insane because it's sold out. It's the basement and Nosebleed are playing. Oh,
2: stop telling me that Nosebleed are playing. <laughs> and also, and and also Bitterman. Bitterman.
3: who we played on this podcast. Actually, we played Nosebleed on this podcast too. Oh
2: my gosh, some real musicians. And then we're going to be prattling around at the beginning of that. Can't wait. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, so we're playing this Culture Shock yeah. show. We're playing something else as well, but I can't remember what it was. Well, I think there's another Toxic, what's You haven't gig. played
3: a gig yet and you've managed to forget some.
2: Oh, just, we're just so fully booked.
3: <laughs> I think uh, it's not been announced yet.
2: Oh, know. okay. Oh, wow, we with a big surprise on <laughs> one other gig. Maybe they're holding out to see if we can get our shit together for The Basement Show. Who knows? But, um, yeah, that's going to be exciting, terrifying, and all of those emotions in between.
3: So that's going to be a proper Breakfast Punks uh, extravaganza at Crowley's. I know... <laughs> I know some people will uh, probably think that, you know, most of the crowd will be there to see Culture Shock, mm. uh, but I think it will be mostly a Breakfast Punks podcast <laughs> celebration.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will be. People will be <laughs> chanting our names as they walk in. So there was a festival that got postponed last year, as did pretty much everything, called <laughs> Cruel World Festival, which is an 80s alternative festival that's going to happen in LA. And it's just been confirmed for 20. 20- Twenty-two, and it looks amazing. I I'm glad that I've finally seen it. It's on your it's the day before your birthday next year, Dave. So <laughs> get prepped uh, for going to LA. Well, well
3: I mean, uh, this is going to be brilliant because on the last episode we talked about Lala Pollution and how we didn't know a single one of the bands. Yeah, and now you're going to bring up an '80s alternative festival, and we're going to be like, oh yeah, I I oh wow, they sound great. Yeah, I'm fucking
2: excited. <laughs> so there's some really good things, but first of all, the big the big poo poo on the festival. It's Morrissey's headlining. Oh, OK. Um, so that's, you know, horrendous. But, you know, I it's in Pasadena. We're going to need to leave early to get back to LA
3: proper. <laughs> yeah, but all your money's going to Morrissey.
2: Uh, well, I'd like to think it might hopefully we'll go to someone else. Because there's Bauhaus, Blondie, Devo, Echo and the Bunny Man, Psychedelic Furs, Violent Femmes, The Church, The English Beat, Public Lim- Image Limited, Berlin, Missing Persons, who I'm actually, like, they're quite low down, but I'm very excited that they're there. A Christian Death and The Damned have just been added.
3: And 45 Grave is the only band Brave? that you ignored. I don't They're know an amazing like horror punk band. They're on the oh. Return of the Living Dead soundtrack. Oh,
2: are they? They're fucking great. Oh, there they are. Sorry, I just yeah. had to look at the posters on the wall. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, that's, that's fucking great radio. Yeah, that. I
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds amazing. The tickets are going on sale um, this week. Oh, so hold off. Go
3: down. Cold Cave as well.
2: Who's Cold Cave? So
3: Cold Cave is uh, someone from American Nightmare. Who oh, are like okay. a hardcore band, right? But um, doing really nice, twinkly uh, synth music. Oh, nice. Sort
2: of, like, I think we should go to that for your birthday next year, just saying. So. We
3: can't give Morrissey any, any of our parents. Oh, I
2: know, but everyone else is so deserving. So.
3: <laughs> missing, I can't believe Missing Persons is still going. I can't believe the church is still going. You would think there's very little... I, I mean, I, Christian death, I think... The main the lead singer from Christian Death is, is dead. <laughs>
2: oh
3: <laughs> I think. Isn't that Ross somebody?
2: Um two people got dropped off, Gary Newman. Boo. Oh. I love Gary Newman. Why is he not there? He's not there because he's doing his own tour. Oh good. Fuck them, he's going on his own. And Mark Olmond. Oh and he's off because he'll be doing a new cell oh, record. Hold of my heart. That is a terrible Oh no, that's God.
3: Gene Pitney. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Who is not?
3: On well, he's long dead. Oh, was he? yeah. <laughs> I don't
2: know who Gene Pitney is. Jim
3: Pitney's not on this 80s Alternative <laughs> Festival.
2: <laughs> so, anyway, I really want to go to that festival. It's your birthday next year. Uh, give it some thought.
3: Cool. I'm not going to see Morris. Uh,
2: right. We don't have to. We can leave early. <laughs> uh.
3: Well, just a quick one uh the Garbage Pale Kids franchise is headed uh, to HBO Max as an animated series, by the looks of it. Uh, the Garbage Bell Kids, as I'm sure everybody knows, is the uh, 1980s uh, trading cards, the gross out t- trading cards that I used to like when I was a child, even though they were banned in my, in my school and you weren't allowed to. They were them. banned
2: at your school? Yeah,
3: which of course made them far more uh, desirable. Desirable. Um, I don't know very much about this animated series, but it's going to be headed by Danny McBride, who's the guy that made Eastbound and Down and has been in loads of different uh, comedy films, and a guy called David Gordon Green, who apparently... Uh, made the halloween sequels which were horseshit and I'll no. give him the benefit of the doubt but also uh writing and co-creating alongside those two is a guy called Josh Bysell, who I can't say I know but he was involved in solar opposites which is the Oh
2: that's good. That was the um, was it Justin Royland who yes. did Rick and Morty that was his other thing that he did I guess he did it with that guy.
3: There's a skinhead pissing in a bush outside on <laughs>
2: Is it the same one that was uh, thrown up into a drain the other
3: day? <laughs> no, he was talking into a drain. He wasn't throwing oh,
2: up. I think oh, I found uh, his socks. Um.
3: Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah,
2: Garbage Pail Kids. Garbage Pail Kids is good.
3: great, yeah. yeah so it, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's only been announced that this is going to be happening, um, so who knows what it's going to be like. It obviously runs the risk in 2021 of being absolute dog shit because I'm sure they'll probably... <laughs> <laughs> gonna make it all CGI and horrible, but yeah. equally, Solar Opposites I thought was great.
2: Yeah, Solar Opposites is
3: really cool. Um, Danny McBride's pretty cool, and so it has a chance of being all right. So I shall be keeping an eye out for it, probably keeping a
2: clear thigh, fantastic. Keeping up with our frequent wrestling features that we seem to do. <laughs> um, AEW have had a pay per view since we last recorded an episode of the podcast, uh-huh. uh, it was double or nothing. And so I figured we would just have a little recap of if anything was good on that. I, I thought think there it, was, was,
3: it was really good. There was there was yeah. one, only one thing that let it down.
2: Yeah, mind. there was one absolute horseshit thing, which I guess was one of the big draw. Well, what they said was going to be one of the big draws, but it was awful. It was one of
3: the big draws. I mean, I was looking forward to it. That's probably what I was disappointed Oh,
2: no. By. I thought it was absolute crap. Um, th- basically, uh, Chris Jericho's got his lovely little faction called the Inner Circle, mm-hmm. and that was against uh, MJF's faction called the Pinnacle, and this was going to be their, like... Is it their last face-off? I don't really no, understand. The, no,
3: they've had one match. Had blood and guts. Blood
2: and guts.
3: And uh, Chris Jericho got thrown off the top of a cage. Oh, yeah, he get shell. Into a, into shell. a live uh, bed.
2: Elbow. Yeah, wow, into
3: a bed. You know. And then this was the sort of rematch to kind oh, of even the score.
2: And it was still, if they lost, the inner circle would break up. That's it's right. that sort of shenanigan going so on. So they were always going to win. But what, annoyingly, <laughs> it was like a re do of a stadium stampede match they did last year. So last year when there was no audience allowed because it's basically filmed at a place called Daly's Place which is part of the Jacksonville Jaguars Jaguars football stadium. So they went out into the stadium and did the um, match across the entire stadium jumping off of out of the seats and at one point Adam Page is riding on a horse chasing (laughs) someone Matt Hardy's chasing someone else in a Golf buggy, and it was amazing. At one point,
3: Matt Hardy got put into a pool, and then he kept coming out as different versions of himself. There was a lot of weird shit. Was that 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 one? Oh my
2: (laughs) gosh! So there was loads of like nonsense. It was really good fun. But then they kind of said, "Oh, we're just going to do it again," and I was like, "Mm, "I was wary." You thought it was going to be good. Well,
3: I've got a feeling that now, because Double or Nothing is kind of AEW's biggest pay per view. I think, yeah, you know, one of the one of the bigger pay per views. And I think by the looks of it, they're probably going to do this every year at this thing as a kind of, I don't know. I don't know how, because it requires large teams of people to be, like, yeah. have beef with each other.
2: I just i just didn't like it because this was, so this was the first pay-per-view where they had a full audience. Mm. And yet the, most of this match is pre-filmed. Yeah. And they do the tiny, the last bit in the, in the arena. And actually with only two of them. It was um, Sammy Guevara against...
3: Uh, uh, Sean Spears. uh,
2: Yeah, Sean Spears. Two of the not-so-interesting ones, if I'm honest. (laughs) And then the rest of them... Yeah, he is quite good. But then the rest of them just walk in once the match is over. (laughs) So it's a bit like, oh, well, that was really pointless. And it was the big main event. So that was Pooh. I think
3: it's very weird that it was the main event. Like you say, because because it was the first time that fans were back. Which is probably the really important thing to talk about. Um, is that it was? I think the first wrestling event, even including WrestleMania, because WrestleMania didn't have a full capacity. No, it didn't. They actually had a full capacity of this thing, and it yeah. did completely revolutionize watching the thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was just because having got so used to that watching, silence like, in yeah, the background, uh, and and we've talked about this before. AEW did that a lot better than a lot of the other places, in mm. as much as they had like they're you know, they had wrestlers around the side of the ring, mm. and they did bring fans back socially distanced for a long mm. time but there was nothing like when people came out and there was just like a massive roar yeah it was it, it did it did just immediately make it 10 times more exciting than it has been for the last
2: Definitely. year and a
3: half so it was very strange to then do a pre-filmed Backstage match as your like main event.
2: Yeah, it I was. Thought. I thought it was just been the really weirdest choice. For the
3: people in the audience.
2: Well, they would have just been watching it on a screen, the same as people at home were watching it. Yeah. Which I think is a bit of a.
3: Cop but out also, the they list. did it in such a shit way. I thought. I mean, every, all the different parts were like considering they'd been pre-filmed. They all looked so shit. Like there was a bit that was supposedly in a bar.
2: Oh yeah. Where.
3: To, like four people all had a big fight in a bar but the bar was so obviously just like an empty room with three yeah. tables with like
2: a purple and, light in the background yeah
3: and just like and a DJ who yeah. turned out to be some old wrestler yeah and like a couple of people sat at the tables looking surprised that people were oh fighting my gosh.
0: There. Yeah.
1: and then
3: there was another bit where this guy that guy Sean Spears is mm. they call him the chairman because he's hit someone with a chair before and so they obviously had <laughs> which everyone room. does well, yeah, so I, I really course. don't understand no, why course.
2: he's anyway but they,
3: but there was a bit where they went into a room and he was just and it was obviously the room in their stadium where they keep all the chairs yeah so they obviously thought to themselves oh this is going to make a brilliant like visual let's yeah. have the chairman sitting you know and it was this huge room full of chairs but they just did it in such a ridiculously oh, dramatic way yeah. that just didn't work and I, I just thought the whole thing just looked awful
0: yeah
3: I mean all of those cinematic matches or whatever they call them I haven't seen a single one that really worked that well there was that one yeah. that was good um
2: Mainly because it, and I think it was really good and accidentally broke a window right at the beginning and yeah, yeah. gashed his arm open.
3: But, I mean, he, but he, that just looked like a movie. Yeah, no, that so, was I, And it had like really high production values. And I think where AEW have gone a bit wrong with the times that they've tried to do it, and sometimes they've been all right. I thought the last Stadium Stampede was all right. 'Cause they were mostly. But they that was because
2: they stayed in the stadium. Exactly,
3: they were just on a football pitch. Yeah. And like someone jumped off the bars of the goal you yeah, know, the, yeah, the American football goal. I think and Kelly like, Omega
2: put someone through something really high up. Yeah. Like he jumped off the chairs onto the next stadium down.
3: And there, there so, was bits where they chased each other with a golf buggy that yeah. were kind of like funny then. But they mm. tried to do it again and it was just a bit
2: yeah, shit. Yeah, nice no.
3: So. But I think the rest of the thing was really good.
2: What was your favourite other match?
3: Uh, I loved, mm-hmm. so okay, here's the other one to talk about Sting.
2: Yeah. The icon
3: Sting, uh, who is now 62 years old.
1: Is he uh, 62? Uh, yeah,
3: he's, he's he's come back and he had a tag team match with this guy, Darby Allen, who's he's really cool. He's pretty cool. Um, against some fairly boring men, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, who are apparently, their tag team is called the Men of the Year. What? Did you know that? No, I did not know That's that. They never in, made that clear. Um, but the great thing about this match was that, so the, in the run-up to it, his, things had one sort of match, but it was another one of these cinematic-type matches. Yeah. And so obviously they could get away with not him not doing too much. And he yeah. did do a bit, but it was probably filmed a lot of times, and yeah. Yeah, it was, he was made to look good. So this was the first time he was having a proper match that was just like yeah. in front in the of ring. people in the ring. And... Um, there was just a brilliant bit at the start where he comes out, and, like I say, 62-year-old sting, and you're thinking, God, is he going to be all right? He's taken a couple of like mm. uh, moves here and there in the run-up to it, but not really. And the first thing he does is go up on the rampway, pull his T-shirt off, and like jump it's, oh my god!
1: He's it, yeah, huge it probably leak. wasn't.
3: It probably wasn't that crazy high, but it was probably like a six foot jump or something. Yeah. It would have been a jump that would have worried me. And it was just like, and the crowd just went fucking bananas yeah. when he did that. And there was that. was the. That's the sort of wrestling that I like. Yeah. When yeah, when you're sort of really rooting for someone just not to die, and then they come out, <laughs> they come out and they really do something good. Please don't die. Yeah, and he and he and then he was great. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he looked. You know, they, they, they were sensible about how much they used him. He spent most of the time... He was a tag team match, so he could spend a lot of the time outside yeah. the ring. But when he was in the ring, he was fucking brilliant. He was working. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah, really, really And impressive. he was in the
2: ring more than I thought he was going to be, actually. So, mm-hmm. good for him. Yeah, I like him. I uh, Yeah, I never watched WCW, so I don't really have any history of Sting. Yeah. But I... I'm quite excited about him all the same because he's come back and he's really interesting and he's really good at talking. So. And I think Congrats. he's a nice man. Yeah, he seems really nice.
3: But other than that, I thought the first two matches were fucking brilliant. Uh, Adam Page against Brian Cage.
2: Yeah, no, that was good. That was
3: good. Uh, yeah. But then the really good one was Young Bucks versus John Moxley and the Kingston. <gasps> Do you think? Oh, I thought it was great. I thought everybody just played their roles really yeah, well. Yeah, no, and, and to be honest, I,
2: I pretty much love both of them. I think the Young Bucks being assholes at the minute is really working. Mm. Especially for um, Nick, because he's the one that I've never really thought was any good. Well he's wearing a beard re- and now
3: they look like twins. Now it's they really actually weird. look
2: the same but like he's really good at being like this bougie arsehole yeah. which is what they're playing at the minute.
3: So I didn't know him then but apparently when they first started maybe or at least early on in their career they were always heels.
2: Oh really? And so
3: I've only ever known them as sort of being like the proper the fan The good Christian boys, and, yeah. yeah. And now, so I think this is probably I think this they're probably they're quite comfortable at. in this yeah. one. I had no idea about that. Yeah, time. they
2: definitely seem. He definitely seems like way good like this. And then I love Moxley, and I really quite like Eddie Kingston. Yeah, Eddie Kingston's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very funny. Um, um, I really mm. liked the Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, and Pac. Three way. Well, I
3: feel <laughs> like that was three-way. that was like that was like the proper uh, main event. I thought.
2: Yeah, I thought that was going to be the main event actually, um, and it was mainly good because I think uh, they allowed Orange Cassidy to pin Kenny Omega twice, but through whatever reasons, it, it wouldn't count.
3: We should probably explain Orange Cassidy.
2: Ah, uh, well, hmm. I could I could explain him with some like arm movements. No, but, but... you're on the radio. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> he's this amazing character who he's billed as coming from no he's wherever he comes from wherever weighing whatever because basically it's a guy that doesn't care he wrestles with his hands in his pockets yeah he wears these aviators that he sometimes takes off and his like big move sometimes is to just like pathetically pretend to kick people and that sounds really shit (laughs) but it's so weirdly great to watch and he's definitely like I think people were surprised he was going to be a favourite because he used to just come out with um, Best Friends, which are two fully-fledged tag team wrestlers. And he'd just be their, like, kind of friend that came out. Um, when he rolls in the ring, he rolls under the bottom rope very slowly. I don't know. I I can't describe him. You definitely have to go and just watch him.
3: I think uh, so, wrestling. Yeah, I think like in the indie scene, he was sort of like a comedy guy.
2: Yeah.
3: <clears throat> but the the thing with him is, is he doesn't do anything, but he's actually really good. So every yeah. night, uh, it's quite a clever thing. Yeah. So he does this one of the big things that he he doesn't do it so much now, but he used to like do little kids, just like yeah. do a really soft kick on someone and they'd be like whoa, leg, and then the whole audience whoa. would go whoa. Oh, yeah. And it kind of works. You have to watch it. But then he would
2: follow it up with like crazy amounts of like running across the ring and jumping off of ropes, but with his hands still in his pockets, which is actually really impressive. But anyway, he he gets to pin Kenny Omega twice in this match. Kenny Omega being um, the person who's got four different championship belts from four different um, promotions at the minute, so it's quite a big deal. And through refereeing. Mishaps, oh, yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah. get counted, and therefore Kenny Omega ends up winning. But I thought it was quite good to have given him quite a um a showing.
3: I think they see him as kind of it's a it's such an odd wrestler to be like, the, but I think they see him as being the, one of the next big things. He's so like the crowd fucking. But goes that's crazy why I because
2: yeah. he, he when he first came out, he didn't wrestle a match for about four or five months. He just yeah. used to walk out, and then because he got such a load of um. Cheering, he they put him with um Chris Jericho well, he really beat, early on, he beat Chris yeah, and he beat him, yeah. so um, yeah, he's really cool. <clears throat> We've talked about wrestling quite a long time, uh, but I think everyone should go and watch AEW generally because it's really fun.
3: <laughs> it has, yeah, it has been really good, uh, recently, I think, and yeah, I, I, I will say, like, their pay per views. Are really, really, they're always really good. Yeah. They, sometimes the storytelling could be slightly better. Yeah. But when it gets to that point, they always do a really good job of just finding people that you, you don't really know who's going to win. And, you know, yeah. there's like a, an element of excitement to it. Though,
2: yeah, I, I would say the storytelling's kind of fallen off a bit, but the matches themselves are actually really good. Yeah. Whereas I find in some of the other promotions, maybe the storytelling's a bit more interesting, but the matches are absolutely awesome. Well, I don't think
3: it is actually, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, WWE is just fucking dead on its feet. Who at the minute? Well, from uh, I I always say this after wrestling, from uh, one piece of high culture to another piece of high culture, um, this is another quick one, really. A filmmaker called Beth B, uh, who is uh, an original no-wave filmmaker from New York City from the sort of late 70s, early 80s, and has been making films ever since, is going to be directing a documentary about Lydia Lunch, which is called Mm. The War Is Never Over. It's coming out on June the 30th, and um, will be available online, I think, by uh, via New York's uh, IFC Centre. Okay. Which otherwise. is a cinema which serves David Lynch signature coffee. Yes! That's all I, that's all I can tell you about. Yes.
2: And did we go there? We, um, yeah. Did yeah. we see um that film that's really red?
3: Suspiria. We did. Yeah. That was, that was good, wasn't it? Uh, we did that really red film, Suspiria. <laughs> uh,
2: you
3: know? Yeah, we went there. Um, oh, gosh. Yes. So anyway, you'll be able to watch it online. Lydia Lunch is an amazingly interesting character. She's absolutely fucking brilliant. She's um, mostly known just under her own name. She's a poet. She's a singer. She's, a, she's an actress. She's a, she does a podcast now. She does loads of stuff. She was originally in a band called Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, who I happen to have been listening to quite a lot recently. Mm. uh, Again they're kind of part of the no wave scene so it's really like discordant uh, sort of pulled apart music. It's not quite punk but it sort of is punk. It's probably more interesting than punk. Went on to influence stuff like post punk Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff but like I say she's just done absolutely loads and loads and loads of stuff. She's been in loads of really interesting things. So I would definitely check out almost anything that Lydia Lunch is in. Um, but her life, unquestionably, will be very interesting. So I think this film's going to be uh, absolutely brilliant, to be honest. Beth B and Lydia Lunch have known each other since, I think, Lydia Lunch was like a teenager. And um, shes I believe she's starred in a few of her films. Starred isn't the right word. <laughs> I mean, it's Featured. She's, she's been in some of her films back in the day. Uh, The film's going to feature loads of really interesting people, including Alan Vega from Suicide, Hmm. uh, Hubert Selby Jr. who wrote Last Exit to Brooklyn, Nick Cave, lovely Nick Cave, from Nick Cave, (laughs) from uh, Nick Cave, and Sonic Youth from uh, 1991, the Ah. year that punk broke. I think that's all to be did.
2: honest, Thurston Moore is in pretty much every documentary ever made, Yeah, or at least all the ones we watch.
3: Although, ironically, he's only a complete cock in the one that's made about him. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of cocks, I think uh, it's now about <laughs> time for a bit of Norfolk news. Oh. <laughs>
2: Morning all right out there? Morning all right? Morning all right, how Morning, you doing? Right is everyone you? all right out there? <laughs> My Norfolk accent is getting worse every week, but we're going to have to Ooh. go with it. Yeah, the yeah. fuck knows what's going on. <laughs> this week, I would say it's been a bit difficult navigating the EDP website. Not because I'm just rubbish at it, <laughs> but because it's mostly who's been arrested and the A47's got loads of backup on it. <laughs> loads of traffic that keeps seeming to make the news. So finding stories between all of that has been a bit hard. I found two minor league stories. I reckon we can. Well,
3: two minor leagues makes you, makes a major league. Well, that's what I've
2: heard. That's <laughs> what I've heard, David. So my first story for you lot is titled "Man Admits Stealing Underwear and Sex Toy in Burglary." <laughs> I mean, that's about as exciting as it gets because. They they've decided the case is so odd that it need a pre hearing report, right? And Ooh. but so he even he hasn't even gone to court yet. He's still he's still sitting there in jail for all this for all this burglary, I believe. But um, yeah, he admitted to stealing some underwear and a sex toy in a burglary.
3: Did he steal anything else, as
2: far as you're aware? It doesn't say what else he stole. It sounds like it might have just been for those things. What a dirty little perv? <laughs> it
3: does sound just like. <laughs> well, it would have been terrible if he thought there was money in there or something, and he just grabbed the first thing he found and it just turned out he opened the wrong drawer just found a dildo and thought well, fuck it a bit of run yeah. the dog's coming or whatever you might get a couple of two pounds for that <laughs> <More>.
2: <laughs> on the black market um but the other thing that really uh took my interest this week uh which i thought <laughs> was interesting was men defecate in couples garden before <laughs> running away A couple saw two men lurking in their garden the day before. What? Day before, they spotted two men just hiding in their bushes. and thought, (laughs) what's that pillock doing there? And the next day, they went out there and they saw the same fellas. Um, And so they chased them off again. But this time, they found human waste. Along with toilet paper. So these fellas scoped out their garden the night before for whatever reason. This
3: sounds very fantastical. Doesn't it? If you don't mind me. This sounds a bit like a conspiracy theory. It feels like two people have seen some men, then found some shit, (laughs) and then then put two and two together and made five.
2: That man's done shit in my garden. So the woman who came across the human waste but does not want to be named, um, (laughs) me thinks... I mean, he thinks you protest too much
3: <laughs> for shitting in your own so garden. So what's your theory? Do you think that she just took a shit in her own garden? I
2: reckon she's done a poo in her own garden. Right. And these men have seen her.
3: <laughs> she's blamed it on them. And
2: she's blamed it on them because oh. her husband's come running out, going, oh. I just saw two men looking in our garden. What could they have been looking at? And she goes, Oh I don't fucking know, I think they shit here. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly weren't me. That's
3: that's what I say about everyone that I'm about. <laughs> I think they just shit. Here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there seems to be this home and waste here, and I—I d- I don't know where it come from. There was but that skinhead
3: w- outside pissing earlier. <laughs> oh, that's true. He's probably—I tell but you what—he'll be in the Hastings National. But, but then
2: she said, because the day before, her and her husband have both seen these pillocks in their garden right. and then she's gone out there for a cheeky poo for some reason <laughs> and he's come out and gone oh what are you doing and she goes oh i just thought you know those pillocks that were here yesterday well look they must have come back because there's this poo with find, toilet paper that did, we don't know that's definitely not our in? brand
3: can you find people via dna if they've because <laughs> there could be like a sort of judge judy type of poo DNA. thing where they do the dna test on the poo but then it turns out that it's actually her oh <gasps>
2: Dun dun dun! We've done Pooh and A, and we know it's you. Pooh and A? We called for the police, and they sent out a team. Despite looking for them with their torches, they didn't find them.
3: of course, what a fuck. I mean, the. That's all
2: very creepy. We wondered if they'd been using our garden as a hideout to watch something or someone else.
3: Well, ironically, the grass is probably going to grow much better now. It's got shit on it.
2: That is what most of the comments said on the UDP Facebook page. Oh, God, oh, I bet yes. those
3: comments are special.
2: Uh, let's see if... Uh... Oh, oh, so special comments. What's the address, number two?
3: Oh, God.
2: <laughs> Standard practice in Attleborough. And then where? Attleborough. Is that that's, where, that's where it was? That's in Norfolk. I saw a woman not from these parts, Bob Dan and Wee and Kig's Lynn on the pavement. <laughs> during the daylight <laughs> Um) Let's move past this poo story and play some music.
3: Enough poos. Think. Enough poo. Enough poos let's have day. some
2: music. <laughs> <laughs> so the next song we're going to play is from a band called High Praise and the song is called Dissolve. High Praise are a band from Brighton and this song is from their new 7-inch, uh, which is called Spirits Crushed. It's available to pre-order now from Crew Cuts Records in the UK and Blind Rage Records in the US.
3: Crew Cuts Records, by the way, are doing some wicked stuff at the moment. They just released a gel or gal I'm not sure how you say it, 7-inch, uh, which is fucking brilliant.
2: Nice. Did um, we play them before?
3: No, I tried to, but they uh, ignored my Instagram message.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there we go, I knew I'd heard of them. But
3: <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, High Praise
2: didn't. There you go. Thank you, High Praise, for getting back to us and allowing you to play, <laughs> us to play this. So this is High Praise with Dissolve.
3: the breakfast punks podcast we're now going to move on to our main topic of the episode which is going to be our second part in our discussion of the tv show the secret rulers of the world Uh, like we said earlier if you haven't listened to the last episode you might want to go back and listen to part one because i imagine that we'll be referring back to it a little bit Mm -hmm. the secret rulers of the world if you did miss that episode is a five-part documentary series which was produced by uh, john ronson Uh, John Ronson also wrote a book to go along with the series which was called Them Adventures with Extremists. Uh, Both are absolutely brilliant and would really recommend both reading the book and checking out the TV show. Uh, The TV show is all available on YouTube. I put it in our last YouTube playlist but I imagine I'll just stick it in this one as well. Mm. The series was first shown on Channel 4 in April and May 2001. So it came out literally just before the Attacks on the Twin Towers which is sort of important I think because uh the subject matter is basically about people that believe that there is a kind of cabal of uh very powerful people that secretly run the world and uh, are influencing governments and world policy and what have you. Um as we said last episode it's quite an interesting thing to look back on now because obviously it's 20 years old. So uh I feel like conspiracy theories have very much come to the forefront mm. of our society in current times and there's a lot of things which are extremely similar about this uh, show, um, but there's also uh, an awful lot has changed, and, and some of these conspiracy theories have kind of warped and found themselves into, frankly, the American presidency at the yeah, end of the exactly. day. So, um, so that's one of the things that's quite interesting about it. Also, John Ronson is just an absolutely brilliant writer and an absolutely brilliant journalist and a brilliant producer of uh, TV and uh, it's a really entertaining series Mm. and he has a really uh, interesting way of dealing with these extreme, really extreme uh, characters Mm. uh, which he sort of faces along the way. So in the last episode we covered parts one to three. Uh, Part one dealt with the legend of Ruby Ridge in which a family was shot by the FBI and the CIA ostensibly because the father had tried to sell a gun to an undercover police officer and everything just went completely fucked up. Uh, And then we covered David Icke and his ideas about nine foot lizards that rule the world. And then we covered uh, Timothy McVeigh, who was the Oklahoma bomber who blew up the
2: um, Murrah building
3: building in Oklahoma. So now we're going to cover parts four and five.
2: So I'll start with episode four, which is about... Bohemian Grove. It's called the Satanic Shadowy Elite. Question mark. So John Ronson meets up with this radio host called Alex Jones, who we'll talk a lot more about in a minute because he has continued to gain fellowship, uh, Followship? Followership? <laughs> listenership.
3: I don't know a following. I mean, people are following. Maybe a following that's a term slash
2: for... listenership. <laughs> a fellowship. Um, there's a fellowship, isn't it? No.
3: Yeah, there is a fellowship. Maybe but... he's got a
2: fellowship. Anyway totally unimportant. (laughs) So um, he meets up with um, Alex Jones, who we'll talk about a lot more in a minute, um, who is one of the main people who believes in this conspiracy theory about a place called Bohemian Grove, which it's said that it's where a secret elite meet and make decisions about the world without any public scrutiny. But whilst they're at it, they also get involved in some pagan ritual with a big effigy that they burn in a giant stone owl, and the Conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones believe that this effigy may or may not be, but probably is a human sacrifice, and they think all these big leaders of the world, some of which have been George Bush, Henry Kissinger, and various anyone who's come to tricky presidency, dicky. Tricky as, Dicky, as David Icke
3: calls him yeah.
2: Tricky Dicky, Richard Nixon. For those <laughs> who don't speak David Icke, <laughs> um, believe that they attended, they make all these decisions where no one can see what they're talking about, and whilst they're at it, they burn. Babies, essentially. Mm, And David Icke thinks he's got proof in the way of pictures. Um, So when this happened, there's a few people that have been... Um, but people, it's very secret. No one really talks about it. And this has led conspiracy theorists to believe that it's definitely evil. and It's definitely, they're covering something up. A few people have come out and maybe shared pictures, but there's not a lot known about it. So that's why Alex Jones has decided that he needs to infiltrate and unveil what is going on, including this human sacrifice he so believes happens.
3: And he does infiltrate. and He, he does. And he makes a video. But So, um, so there's a slight discrepancy in a way uh, between the book and the tv series in this one because in the tv series it appears as if alex jones and his um and his little friend cameraman mike hanson he's a very uh, funny little bloke Aww. um they infiltrate bohemian grove and it appears in the tv show as if they agree that they're gonna
2: Just walk in. Just
3: walk in. Yeah. And sort of dress preppy and look as it looked the part, and they're just going to walk in.
2: Because a lawyer who they meet with has done that and says, you can just walk in there, you've just got to be preppy looking.
3: But um, actually...
2: Last minute.
3: (laughs) Last minute, yeah, last minute they they suddenly jump into the bushes (laughs) and and, and run off into the thing. Uh, So it appears as if it's only them that have gone in. But actually in the book, it turns out John Ronson and his cameraman also went in separately to them and did just stroll in past the gate.
2: But I guess, so. In the programme, you only see Alex Jones scuffling off into the bushes with his cameraman, mm. and they managed to film some of what's going on. And sure enough, people do turn up in cloaks, and it was all very dramatic. Um, and they do do this thing, and it's called the cremation of care, mm. which is where they set fire to rags essentially at the bottom of an owl or and is it
3: a child or is it I a like child slowly but surely convinces and, himself yeah exactly of course of the program
2: and what they quite clearly are stating i think and which i think john ronson thinks and i think it's what rational person would think is they're just burning some rags and the man who's screaming and shouting over the top is very dramatic and it is mm. very Uh, You know, there's a lot of drama behind this ritual. It's a very hugely pagan ritual that's going on, or I think it's pagan anyway. It's very leafy and nature. I mean, it is
3: very pagan. Appearing, I don't know, you
2: know. And yeah, it's not. it, It is what it is. And they're basically the idea is they're burning care with a capital C because the idea is all these posh people that have so much influence and so much responsibility for the world are coming together to go on a boys' holiday essentially, and the symbolism of burning care means that they are burning their responsibilities for two weeks so that after these two weeks they can just fuck about play golf maybe do some chatting over the breakfast table and goodness knows what decisions maybe do ultimately get made but they don't appear to be burning a baby
3: well they're also they also just piss in the woods in front of each other oh yeah there's a lot of weird sort of behavior that goes on particularly when you consider the, the, the people there they are they, um, John Ronson gets a list of everyone who's there and to go through it would be, would be a nightmare yeah. so, but it really genuinely is the heads of corporations yeah. loads of politicians loads of very very influential people so I have to say because I watched this series back in the day before I knew anything about conspiracy this was yeah. kind of one of the things that got me interested in a lot of this shit when I first watched this it blew my mind when mm. it turned out that this was quote unquote true Yeah, you know what I mean. As in, there is a gathering. You hear this, yeah. You hear this thing, and these crazy people saying they burn um, to an owl god, and you know, and they all they all piss in the woods, and they all sort of chant all these weird things. It really is a
2: big deal that they piss on these redwood trees. It seems to be mentioned a lot. (laughs) It seems
3: to be a big part of it, Um, and that they were going to infiltrate. And and when when I watched this show, and I don't know how you felt when you watched Mm. it. Sort of, you probably were a lot more. uh, aware of a lot of this stuff than than I was when you watched it Mm. but as a young person watching this thing I was like well this just can't be true this is obviously like this insane conspiracy theory that's just made up all of this stuff and they're going to and they're going to go into this um, into this clearing in the woods and there's going to be like maybe some Boy Scouts sitting around or something or, or there'll be nothing or well, they'll be in
2: suits and it'll be, it won't yeah, be it will be half as dramatic as cloaks.
3: But then, but more or less, the crazy thing about it is more or less exactly how he describes it. And obviously Alex Jones sees it through the eyes of a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, exactly. Um, but exactly as it's described is what happens. Yeah. I mean, it literally is a bunch of very powerful people getting together yeah. secretly in a, in, a, in a massive clearing in the woods. Yeah. Um, being really weird... with each other really
2: strange like in Um, robes screaming burn this and care be gone and wah
3: and there's a and there's a really oh and also they do a lot of so there's a lot of like there's a theatrical element to it I mean it's also crazy it's like you couldn't make this shit up yeah there's this they don't really go into this too much in the programme but there's they put on a lot of theatre and plays and stuff and so it's all men no women are allowed so there's loads of drag Mm. which is fine you know but like there's loads of sort of weird old men it's, dressing it's, up in it's not the mainstream
2: doing... sort of cultured stuff, yeah. But it's all these like really outwardly like uber Christian leaders of the world or yeah. leaders of America who are secretly drunk and, getting and drunk with each in other the woods
3: and dressing as ladies. And,
2: yeah, exactly. And
3: burning effigies to our gods. It's it, it, it <laughs> does. <laughs> it, like, is think, yeah, it is mad. Yeah, it's crazy that it that it really you know it really is genuinely a thing. Yeah. So within the conspiracy theorist's mind, Mm. this all is absolute proof that these people are Satanists and that they're making all the decisions that run the world within this summer camp.
2: Yeah, this is proof of the new world order.
3: And you can see where they would get that from because it is so weird that it's secretive and all this sort of stuff. But in reality, I do sort of think it is just a bunch of people. So um, he meets up with Harry Shearer. Mm. Who is Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap? It just couldn't <laughs> it couldn't get fucking weirder. And basically, he was a, he was um, allowed to go one year. Yeah. And he said, "Well, how did, how is it that you got to go?" And he <laughs> and Derek Smalls said, "Well, I think one year they were trying to do the place up a bit, and so they invited <laughs> a bunch of because sort of artistic people and stuff are mm. sometimes allowed to come. I suppose I think allowed to come is the correct yeah. kind of phrase as well, not just invited." Um, and so he went and he was saying it's basically just a bunch of extremely wealthy rich people that are used to kind of having college fraternities yeah. and doing all of that sort of weird shit that goes on in, in secret societies and in college fraternities, just yeah. kind of getting the opportunity to do that for two yeah. weeks and not worry about their very important jobs. Yeah, And I can kind of, I can, you know, I can sort of see that, but it is so weird that, that it's so secretive. I
2: mean, um, he's he said something that I thought kind of helped it which was the main conspiracy is to take it seriously yeah because yeah. i think he's just like yes it's weird but that's just what it is it is weird it's fucking weird i think he's but i don't think anything that of... nefarious is happening i think yeah. they're all being you know yeah a big glorified fraternity of men
3: there's a very famous picture from uh bohemian grove which is one of the ones that conspiracy theories really use to say to prove mm. unquestionably that it's it's this place where um all the decisions are made and it's a picture of, I think it's Henry Kissinger, but it might not even be someone that famous, but it's someone giving a speech, mm. but either side of him, on one side of him is Ronald Reagan, and on the other side of him is Richard Nixon. Yes. And so, and at that time, I think this was from the early, must have been the early 70s or maybe late 60s. And so more or less, it's like Richard Nixon was the next president. Yeah. Of the USA, and then Ronald Reagan was the, not quite, but was more or less the president after that. Yeah. And, you know, so in that context, and, and in some respects, because i because they were they were from different parties. Yeah, you know, they, it was it, it was a well, it was politicians who were supposedly yeah. sort of.
2: Well, that's part of the conspiracy theorists' um, general viewpoint, isn't it? Mm. That whoever this no world order is is picking candidates for both sides yeah. and is playing the entire thing. Yeah. They're not just supporting one side and winning; they're just arranging the entire. You know, facade that we see—that's mm. uh, what conspiracy theorists believe
3: in him, isn't it? But onto Alex Jones. <coughs> um, so because so obviously Alex Jones at this point is extremely young. I had no idea he was as young as he was until we we rewatched it very recently. He
2: was um, only twenty six. Twenty six when he made this, and so
3: Alex Jones. I feel like most people will probably know he's still around. He had possibly a lot to do, possibly not that much to do with. Trump's campaign Mm. um, and was very behind Trump but I think they sort of had a falling out but there was was a bit of controversy around Alex Jones because, uh, so he runs Infowars, which is constantly just it's a YouTube channel really and a podcast and a general media outlet it, he's made, he's a multi millionaire mm. at this point from from doing this thing. He started, and at this point, he was making this in his bedroom, yeah. just down his computer line. And it's grown into this massive thing, which is really influential. And it's definitely, I would say, InfoWars is one of the main, if not the main, thing that has led us to shit like QAnon, stuff like the Capitol building protests. Yeah, totally. All, all of that stuff.
2: It's six days a week of him ranting about random articles he finds like on the internet for like seven
3: or eight hours. Yeah, it's weird because Ike's the same. It's weird that these conspiracy <laughs> theories. It's obviously because they're manic or something. They all can't. They've got so much to fucking say. <laughs> they just can't shut up. I don't know. I don't know. How do you find eight hours worth of conspiracy to talk know. about every day? A lot of
2: hate, I think. Yeah, a lot of hate and paranoia.
3: So Alex Jones was sort of caught up in the Trump thing because mm. I think on Infowars. He made it sound, at least at the beginning of the presidency, like he really had Donald Trump's ear. Yeah, and to some extent he did because Trump was doing all the weird shit that Trump did, like he was sharing a lot of stuff on his Twitter from Infowars, and yeah. he was taking a lot of what Alex Jones says as fact. And there was a, again, like some conspiracy sort of comes into this where. Mm. Infowars apparently got a picture of some people smuggling drugs across the Mexican border, but there was not really any proof to it. It was just like some people in some water that they filmed, and they, mm-hmm. they but they, they reported it as absolute, un, unquestionable fact that the there's these sort of Mexican people coming into America with their drugs, and Trump, a day later or something, in a Quoting speech it brought it up speech. as if it was absolute fact. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of talk of really Trump. Using Infowars to get yeah. his news from, which is fucking mental. It is crazy,
2: and that. then he does thank him for, or he doesn't, but um, one of Trump's campaign thanks um, Infowars for helping the like Trump Revolution. Yeah. That's what it is named as. So he does get a lot of like direct thanks for being like pro-Trump anyway. Well,
3: the other thing is, there's this guy Roger Stone who was um, Trump's uh, campaign manager, That's although what he had I'm to he of. had to step down. Because he's such a dodgy fucker. Yeah. And basically he's been the campaign manager of so many presidents that have ended up becoming president. Mm. He's a, he is an unquestionably a psychopath. There's a movie that's made about him. It's so interesting because his psychological state is so scary. He's like a serial killer in a suit. Mm. It's so weird. And there he is. But he's, he's so powerful. And more or less, I think, in the, in the background of a lot of American presidents getting into office it's kind of considered if he's on your side, then you're, you're in, kind of thing. Oh, God. And he was certainly with Trump. And, yeah, there's a documentary made about him uh, on the campaign trail with Trump. I think it's called Bring Me the Head of Roger Stone.
2: Yeah, or Get Me Roger Stone it'll or something yeah, like something that, like isn't
3: like it? That. Uh, that sounds like it's more likely as that, actually. Not, yeah, bring, bring Me the Head. head. <laughs> um, that's something bring else. me his
2: head. <laughs> um,
3: but So he definitely gets Infowars very involved in the Trump campaign because mm. he sees it as someone who's got millions and millions and millions of eyes on them listeners and what have you so it was a really just handy way for him just to get more people to vote for trump because he doesn't give a fuck he's he's got no political allegiances whatsoever he's just there to win he doesn't it doesn't matter how once it's It's,
2: done he doesn't
3: care yeah so um oh i forgot actually we were going to play a little bit of alex jones just saying something because it was funny should we do that
2: just so you can get a feel for how
3: absolutely in insane this man is. If you, in case you've never heard him speak, here's some of Alex Jones.
1: Let's tell these people they can't do this anymore, that they can't shit on us. Uh, that's, th- that's really what I'm saying. Uh, you can't shit on us anymore. Uh, I just want them to stop shitting on us. They're messing with the weather, they're buying armoured vehicles and billions of rounds of ammo and, and have TV shows badmouthing the Founding Fathers. I guess it's read that God's going to destroy the Earth next time by fire. I'm going to cram a gun in their mouth and see how they like it, because I'm free. And it's been in my family history to fight, and I'm not your slave. So get it straight, and we're ready. You can nerve gas us all day. We're ready to rock, and the people are waking up. Because some of us are willing to spill our blood with a sacrifice. You hear me, scum? We're coming for you. Hitler took the guns. Stalin took the guns. Mao took the guns. Fidel Castro took the guns. Hugo Chavez took the guns. And I'm here to tell you, 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. He is nothing but a Luciferian twin.
3: Oh, so Alex Jones. that's Alex Jones. He is he's easy to laugh at in a lot of ways, but um he's like I say, so InfoWars is very influential. Very influential, America. continuous. And he's a Sandy Hook denier. Sandy Hook was um a, ch- a shooting at a school um, in which oh, a logo load of, of uh, like got literally killed. toddler age kids like, uh got twenty shot. kids
2: or something and some teachers. And
3: a bunch of conspiracy theorists decided that, that it was all completely make believe and that the parents were all actors and they started finding like they started finding them in the backgrounds of films and things as proof that they're just actors oh and they're not gosh. And of course these poor people have just had their their, their children have just been murdered. Mm. And um the conspiracy theories I don't know what it was, but Sandy Hook was a really big thing for a while and these conspiracy theories all really went for broke mm. with and Alex Jones was one of the main people that said that and we watched quite a new interview with him mm. in which he basically just looked like a complete nincompoop <laughs> <laughs> but i
2: mean it's awful because they you know these um, parents were sent death threats like yeah, loads yeah. of them were sent death threats and it's all really awful and the woman who's interviewing was just like don't you feel bad don't you want to say sorry and he just dodges it every well, time i mean it is yeah. edited kind of but to it, make him look like a buffoon. But
3: also it's is. weird because they show, there's loads of stuff that they've it's a bit like the sun, but yeah. probably more extreme, but there's loads of things that they showed on that um on that interview with him. They showed him making apologies. Saying actually this wasn't true on because he's because by uh, by, the, yeah. by law he had to you know he was taken to court and he's by reading people.
2: he's reading like a, a written apology yeah
3: but in complete disgust and distaste yeah not really making an apology just like we at Infowars are yeah. sorry like just really pissed off and she asked him like are you not sorry you know can you not see these people you know they yeah. had their children murdered and yeah. then as a result of what you said yeah. one, like some woman tried to shoot one of them I think yeah, there was yeah. someone and all this was and he. Again, I'll put the interview on YouTube. Yes. It's worth seeing. He was—he's just his, well, he's re- complete. Like I don't know, his demeanour about it was like he didn't accept. I well, don't know. I remember
2: what he said because he said something like, "It's going through court at the minute, so obviously we had to say what we said then." So basically, he's saying like, "Oh, we had to give the apology." Yeah, but. I was working off of different information, yeah. so I can't be blamed if the information I was given is wrong. And then she goes on to screw, like, so basically, he gets away with not having to say sorry actually. Yeah. Um, and that I only had to say sorry that I read out the wrong information, but mm. not that I don't believe that they actually happened. Um, and then it goes on to be like, well, maybe some children were killed. But then, you know, we watched them doing circles around oh, in the, okay. and it was obviously a drill. And you're like, Jesus mm. Christ, you're not sorry at all. You're obviously a mental, horrible, hateful person. But
3: he did say during that as well that one of the things that they do is they report on stories. Because he was being questioned about why he reported on stories without fact checking yeah. like a journalist would. And yeah. he more or less said, well, I'm not a journalist, yeah. so I don't need to
2: yeah i just read stuff out and give my opinion and like
3: that's that that i think is like sums up how dangerous this sort of alternative media can be because if yeah. you think about the state that america is in in the context of Cure. The amount of yeah, the amount of conspiracy theorists and th- things like this shit that's going on at the moment. Yeah. That's where it's coming from. Yeah. Well, and it's the take... same as it's exactly the same as the Sun saying, yeah. you know, Jeremy Corbyn's a, an anti Semitic yeah. and then suddenly everyone's mum believes that Jeremy yeah. Corbyn's an anti Semitic.
2: People take what he says is like... rote. like they yeah. really believe him and he's outwardly saying, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that doesn't matter because millions of people listen to him every week and decide that he's
3: telling the truth. It's the same thing, it's like Trump as well, isn't it? It's that yeah. fake news thing. If you say that other news is fake without backing that up. Yeah. And then you say, here's a load of other news, but we haven't fact-checked it because we're not really journalists. Well, but this is news. And, and you say, because, I mean, Alex yeah. James is, he's an orator. He's uh, also a wanker, but yeah. he's, like he's definitely someone once he's on a roll.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, I mean, I can't say he's got much style, I mean, but he's, he I can fe- really talk about yeah. this, these subjects. You know? And I
2: feel like, I mean, going back to the um, episode, John Ronson's talking to um, his... Cameraman afterwards, Mike Hansen, and <laughs> says, You know, the cremation going back to the cremation of care, and this kind of t- ties in with this like, you don't have to have your facts right to just spill off whatever. They said to him, But they literally are burning rags, they're not, it's a wasn't it just a metaphor, is what he says to him. Yeah, and the cameraman says, Well, I didn't take it that way, yeah, well, and, and that's, that's, that's essentially his it. To everything, he just it? goes, Well, that's not how I saw it. Yeah. And it's not just that that's not how they saw it. They then proclaimed that they saw a baby being burnt. Yeah. Well, like, that's... that's how the story gets distorted. And then, like you say, it's told by a man who doesn't need to give facts. And the fact is, he saw what he wanted to see. He's interpreted it the way that fits his story. And he goes and tells it as facts. And he became, like, this video became, like, a multi-national sensation we'll remember shit. As
3: well, well, remember as well, it was early days of the internet. Oh, and Infowars was very early in the context of yeah. the internet. So it was a much bigger, you know, much bigger in a way slash much smaller you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. than now. But as a result of that, those like sending videos through the post was like a big thing still yeah. in 2001. So, so yeah, that video being a bestseller and being presented nice as something. absolute fact. And also, in fairness, like we said earlier, being really fucking weird, yeah. and like understandably, you could see where people got conspiracy theories yeah. from. It definitely, you can see how that could have sown the seed oh, for the for the next twenty years, you know, bringing it yeah. up to now and, and 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 you know, and longer.
2: It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Uh,
3: I think that Ma- Mike Hansen guy is a really interesting character because he's got. None of the pizzazz of. Uh, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's like the opposite. You couldn't find a more opposite person to Alex James than this guy. There's that bit. I know. He, there's that bit where he's trying to act.
2: There's <laughs> uh, this is beautiful. Just to give context quickly. Um, when this lawyer has told them you need to dress preppy and just walk in the front door, Alex Jones is super serious. They go shopping for these clothes and he's bought various hats and he really tries to pick out the most preppy outfit. And then he forces this Mike Hansen, his cameraman, to re- rehearse a conversation. <laughs> so, he said, So when we're walking down the drive, we need to be really natural. So you and I will be talking. Let's practice now. And so they're walking up and down outside the motel. And Alex Jones goes on this really rehearsed rant about oh, yes, because nanotechnology, you know, they're yeah. just making robots at such molecular getting level. Getting down to an atomic when, level. Getting down to the <laughs> atomics, when do you think that science is just going to go too far? And Mike Hansen just goes, yep. <laughs> and then they say, don't you think you need to have a bit more of, like I think John Ronson goes, yeah. don't you think you need to have a bit more ready to say, especially as you're the, um, the doctor in this scene? And they go, okay, and Alex... John,
3: but he's like an awkward child. Yeah. It's like trying to get your trying to get your sort of five-year-old nephew to, yeah. like, g up for a dramatic uh, drama performance.
2: And then they do it again, and I Jones recites exactly... So he's obviously practised these long words that he thinks make them sound really, like, a preppy... And
3: he just says all the he scientific says, words he's heard yeah, just, without any, like, need for them to make any and, sense at all.
2: And then Mike Hansen says absolutely nothing. Yeah. And then John Rosson goes, do you really think that, you know, that that was... Do you think you sounded preppy enough? Do you think you've got it rehearsed? My husband's like, oh, it just needs to be natural yeah. on the day. <laughs> but that's like you didn't say anything. Yeah, also,
3: he's someone who, when naturally, it doesn't but feel natural. also, you know, what's
2: naturally going to happen is neither of you are going to get to do this. You're going to dive off into the bushes and run up the hill anyway. I mean,
3: it's, uh, we we said this last time. Uh, the episode is very interesting because you watch these conspiracy theorists slowly but surely like unravel with mm. more and more conspiracy as well. Yeah. So. It starts with obviously this quite a genuinely weird thing that mm. could definitely point towards you can understand why people would think that it might be a, a conspiracy of some yeah. sort. But slowly but surely they start. They so they meet this lawyer guy who's been in before, mm. and he tells them that they should just walk up the path. But then Alex Jones starts getting a conspiracy theory about the the, yes. the lawyer, and then also John Ronson says, and I think this might be in the book and not in yeah. the TV show, that Alex Jones starts getting a conspiracy theory about him and for bringing the lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And so and it slowly but surely unravels, and then this Mike Hansen guy. It's really interesting because. He's just this knob who's sort of along for the ride. (laughs) And it's, it's just what you said earlier, really... When they get back from Bohemian Grove, he's just like, Oh, that's just proved everything that I believe. But he doesn't really, he's not really capable, I don't think. He's not very clever. He's not capable of saying what it is that he believes. He's just saying, This proves to me this is a new world order. I don't think he really understands even what he he he... means by that. But by the next day, he's adamant. He's 100% sure. And he starts, he's he's obviously very Christian. Like a lot of his Christian beliefs come to it. I saw an owl god. And I saw a person. Yeah, I saw this a baby This is what sacrifice. I took from it. I saw a baby being sacrificed to an owl god. And you know, um, America is a Christian country, yeah. and it should we, nobody should be getting nobody, nobody should, should be, be worshiping this. an owl god. And it's just like this guy has just unravelled over mm. the course of twenty four hours. Mm. Mm. But he's like he's the cameraman for Infowars. Yeah. I don't think he still is actually. I think they fell out. <laughs> I don't know any details about that. But if you're doing this. And even at this point, this was their full-time job. So every day they're doing this shit and they're going and doing all of these weird things. Just imagine how many conspiracies upon conspiracies upon conspiracies he's getting, just being around Alex Jones. And then just think about the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that listen to this guy for six or seven hours every day. And watch all of his weird YouTube videos.
2: And that's Trump.
3: Bohemian Grove is just generally a really interesting subject. And like I say, it's definitely worth just watching uh, watching some videos of it because it does it will blow your mind. I did read another book which was about this, which was quite interesting, which I'll just mention very quickly. It's called America Madness. It's written by a call- guy called T. Crewloss, and it's the story of somebody who considers himself a real life superhero, and there is a community of other people who call themselves the real life superheroes or the RLSHs. Ooh! His his name is the Phantom Patriot, <laughs> and uh, this guy spends a little bit of time with him, and he is an ex-marine, I think. He had quite a sad life. He didn't have a, his uh, his whole family died quite close to each other. He was left a lot of money. He didn't really have a lot of skills. He sort of came back from the army, and um, he decided he was going to become a real life superhero and basically clean up the streets. So Aww. he made up this character of the American of the Phantom Patriot. But one of the things that he did, the main thing that he did, was that he decided he was going to go and infiltrate Bohemian Grove. But by infiltrate, I don't mean do what Alex Jones did. Uh, I mean he was going to go in there and basically shoot the place up. Was oh, his in his outfit? Yeah, in his outfit. Yeah, he yeah. was going to go there as a superhero and he was going to take care of business in Bohemian Grove. <laughs> and um, it's a really sad story uh, oh. because he went on the wrong day and there was no, <laughs> and there was no one there
2: so um just a big empty stone owl yeah he
3: did find the stone owl um and i think he i don't think he did he tried to push the stone owl over it's it's massive massive, (laughs) so he couldn't push it but obviously he thought it was a syrup tube beer so he was having a try the only thing that he did manage to do is that um he managed to break into one of the lodges that they all stay in and um the only thing that he could find was that they'd uh, the the sandwiches had been prepared for like the next day or whenever they were all coming to Bohemian Grove. So he just threw the sandwiches around. But he got <laughs> a bit hungry halfway through, so he did eat, eat.
2: some. <gasps> he ate some of the sandwiches of the shadowy elite.
3: So oh, he really stuck it to them. But so this is this hilarious story <laughs> about this. Where have the cheese your
2: sandwiches, Mr Nixon? <laughs> oh, I think he would have been there. But, but this but <laughs> this
3: hilarious story about this silly man that's gone and done this thing. But then this is where it gets weird. Well, not weird, but this is where it suddenly becomes real is that obviously the police are called at some point there is some security guards and stuff there and so he comes out of the gate so bohemia grove is just down this road it says not a through road and mm. there's no obviously it's not obvious it's just mm. like a little country lane he comes out of the end of there and by this time loads of poli- uh, there's some police officers not loads there's just some police officers yeah. there he of course being uh, the fucking Phantom patriot with like <laughs> 10 guns on him pulls out all of his guns and points them at the police so then the police Call in loads of reinforcements because oh there's this guy. So the Phantom patriot—I don't know how to describe him really. He's—he wears like a skull mask, and I think he's got an American flag bandana, and he's got kind of like Slipknot's outfit on, <laughs> but it says Patriot on the thing. And he's got—he—he he drew a skull like this sort of skull with the stars and stripes in it that mm. he wears on a belt buckle. Well
0: done.
3: Um, so he looked like a pretty gnarly dude with loads of guns. So, of course, yeah. The full mo- on
2: sandwiches.
3: And, well, yeah, I, about, he had know, a lot of energy. He's ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> thankfully, I don't think anybody got hurt. I think he did get I mean, he shot in the got, leg, I think, I or something like he that. He
2: could have gone full on murdered. <laughs> yeah.
3: But, uh, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. And so, But there's a shootout outside uh, Bohemian Grove. It's a really interesting story. Anyway, <laughs> oh. he ends up in prison. He then ends up...
2: <laughs> well, is he then martyred for this somehow?
3: Well, he thinks he is, but he's not. You oh, see, this is a really okay. sad story about this guy, is that he, he's just this really sad man who's desperately trying to get attention. and try, he, he thinks he's got a political message. He draws comic books as well, but they're all about him as as this sort of superhero. <laughs> so after all of this, he drew a comic book where he went into Bohemia Grove and, you know...
2: Pushed p- over the stone and, Owl.
3: Pushed over the stone owl and beat up George Bush and did all oh, this yeah. stuff, you know, because... But actually, in reality, obviously... He
2: just ate a cheese on <laughs> yeah, and onion sandwich.
3: But he did end up in prison for quite a while. Yeah, he wasn't really martyred, but he was desperately trying to get his message out there to try and get himself martyred. He then, when he got out, and this is when the guy meets up with him and spends a bit of time with him, he starts making YouTube movies. And he's got a little bit of money, of course, so he hires these people to kind of do the do the filming and do the editing and and all of this stuff. And it's all about the Phantom Patriot. And he gets some of his other real-life superhero friends to come. And this has all totally happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and just
3: saying it out loud makes me sound like I'm is making this up. it on YouTube? Can we put yes. On the so all fantastic. of his movies are on YouTube. They're completely unwatchable. Can't but wait. I will put them on the YouTube playlist. And I would really recommend this book. Because, like I say, it's called American Madness. This guy, T. he—he's similar-ish. he's similar-ish. He's got none of the wit of John Ronson. But he does write some pretty decent books about some quite interesting subjects. But this is by far his best. It's
2: fantastic. Well, from one strange happening in the woods to the next episode, which is about a strange happening somewhere else. So the
3: fifth episode is called The Bilderberg Group, uh, and John Rodson teams up with this guy called Big Jim Tucker.
1: Big Jim Tucker. Who
3: is the editor of a newspaper called The Spotlight. Big Jim Tucker is apparently quite famous within uh, the conspiracy theory world because he discovered this thing called The Bilderberg Group. Mm. Um, And that's said as an absolute fact. Um, and I think he discovered the Bilderberg Group twenty years ago or something.
2: Yeah, didn't doesn't John Ronson say that all the conspiracy theories lead back to this one man?
3: Yeah, yeah. basically. And he is every year. Uh, the Bilderberg Group is a is a very similar thing uh, to Bohemian Grove. Really, it's a bunch of very powerful people that get together. Uh, this time, instead of being around a giant mm. uh, stone owl, not, so, just, satanic this not time. so satanic. Not so <laughs> satanic. They just they go to a mid-priced hotel resort doesn't with golfing be, facilities.
2: Doesn't have to be luxury, but can but must be comfortable.
3: That was right. the only thing I remember <laughs>
2: about this. And near to an airport. That's right. With golf facilities. And a bit, yeah, a
3: bit, (laughs) bit like, out of the way. A bit out of the way. And this guy, Big Jim Tucker, has sort of made it his life's work, really, to follow the Bilderberg group around. That's all done, again, similar sort of thing. It's all done in a lot of secrecy. But the difference is here is the hotel changes every year. So Mm. he spends most of his year trying to work out, in various ways, uh, where this Bilderberg meeting is going to be happening. And then he goes. And on this occasion, he decides... That he's going to infiltrate this thing, oh, despite yeah. the fact that he's quite an elderly man <laughs> who who gets out of breath very quickly because he's continuously smoking Smokes
2: sixty cigarettes a day. Yeah, he's
3: quite he's a he's a bit overweight. He's definitely not what you would expect. He's not he's no ph- phantom patriot. I can't right? imagine
2: he's alive now. I'll put it that way.
3: Uh, but he does tell John Ronson that he's, initially, when they go and look at this hotel that they that they find in Portugal, so he's discovered that this meeting is happening in Portugal, that he's looking for, and I will quote, uh, the short wall and the big drainpipe. <laughs> so this guy, <laughs> he's gonna this guy <laughs> thinks he's going to shimmy over a wall and go up a drainpipe. God,
2: he must be about 60-something. I
3: mean, he could just have been a really or, hard liver. I'm not sure. It, actually,
2: yeah, tell a lie. But he might be younger, younger than it's that. It's difficult
3: to say. But the story of this episode is really that uh, John Ronson and this big Jim Tucker they go to Portugal, they go and try and find the Bilderberg group, they go to the hotel where it is, but the most of the TV show is about the fact that they go there two days I think before the meeting Mm. is supposed to happen, and it's just a normal hotel resort there's no big deal, they go and he just goes to sort of scope out the place, I think they have lunch, but on the way home they think they're getting followed by a car, like a black car, yeah but when they stop, the car drives on, and they yeah. think, "Oh, maybe." Uh, they big Jim Tucker, I think, thinks that they're definitely being followed. But John Ronson sort of says, "Oh, maybe we actually weren't really." Like, being oh
2: look, no, they're not following us anymore, Jim.
3: <laughs> but so the next day they go back again, and by this time the place is shutting down a little bit, and uh, it's completely
2: and, empty apart from them, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But yeah. they
3: they do again but they're allowed they, in. they are allowed in and they can eat lunch.
2: And they they were <laughs> expecting to get turned away, so they're a bit spooked. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh shit, there's no one here, let's just eat lunch and go.
3: But on the way home they are definitely being followed. Like a hundred percent followed that they're being followed. They keep
2: pulling over and the car pulls over behind them. They do that a number of times yeah. and they say they get followed for like hours.
3: Well, again, in the book, it goes into a bit more detail about this. When they get back to the hotel, the people that have followed them hang around and they're like looking at them through um, binoculars and yes. all this and not they
2: shout, like as in John Ronson and Big Jim Tucker, don't they shout at them a bit? I or... think Big Jim Tucker does. Yeah, I
3: think yeah he, I does. Think <laughs> he takes does. photos of them. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. He
2: does. And John Ronson calls the British Embassy.
3: He does. He, he's really, you can tell, like, yeah. genuinely, he's really freaked out about it. And there's a few interesting, like, little tidbits about this. One of one of the really interesting things is that when he rings the uh, British embassy and he says he explains his situation and he says that he's uh, he describes himself as a humorist who's doing a piece on the Bilderberg Group. Yeah the British Embassy basically say to him they're way out of our league we can't do anything about this and he's quite surprised by that because it's like well who the fuck are these because again he's gone into this thinking well uh, I'm going to watch an
2: old man shimmy up a pipe watch nothing (laughs) is the
3: Bilderberg group really actually real but it is real yeah, and on the day uh, on the day that it's supposed to start, they go and they camp up outside and they're waiting for people to turn up. And he says they're there for most of the day, and he starts to think, "Oh, maybe this is all a load of nonsense, yeah. and maybe it's not going to happen." And then one by one, more and more people I, start yeah. turning up. So one of the, uh, there's a uh, journalist from one of the local newspapers who's with them, and I think the local newspaper is quite interesting because I think they're all sort of conspiracists. They're certainly extremely, extremely religious. Yeah, I was about and, to say, uh, religious. A, the, the editor of the um, local newspaper starts saying that he thinks that the Bilderberg group is proof of end times coming. And all this weird shit.
2: No, he says really casually like, we in the Christian community believe the end times are coming.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, oh, and that before cool. the
3: end times come, they'll be a a small group in power or
2: something but he also says children will start disrespecting their parents oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that's a sign (laughs) um just really casually and so this completely freaks him out
3: yeah um but one of this one of these guys says that he's he swears that in one of the cars or i think in one of the coaches you're
2: the first coach to pull up yeah
3: he sees peter mandelson and john ronson thinks a little bit like oh really like is this because the guy does come across as a bit of a lunatic yeah but later on, John Ronson gets a list of all the people that are there. And Peter Mandelson was one of yeah. them. And more or less, again, it's similar to Bohemian Grove. It's a bunch of what they describe as financiers and industrialists.
2: Yeah, loads of CEOs of huge yeah. companies like Nokia and the World Bank is but, there. But
3: also lots of politicians as yes. well. And and um, one, of the, one of my favourite bits is that the, so John Ronson eventually gets to... Find out, like genuinely interview some people, some Bilderbergers, some people
2: thought. who have attended. Yeah, and
3: one of the people that he in, uh, interviews is the head of W. H. Smith, yes, who is actually in charge of arranging the Bilderberg meetings. Yeah, he's at like a time, general
2: secretary like, at yeah, that time. I, isn't
3: I don't he? think he is always, no. but um, and he says to him, "Why do you keep everything so secret? You must be able to understand that people are going to come up with conspiracy yeah. theories." And he says, "Well, for the most part." Is to keep the politicians in line because if it wasn't, you know what politicians are like. He says, um, if it wasn't secret, they would be getting all the news media there all the time. And because, he says, well, and he says because because all politicians are insane. And he just <laughs> says that it just like rolls off his tongue, and then they just move on. I really love him.
2: He's alleged.
3: Um, well, he's not really. Well, no, so he's actually, obviously, no. He's, he's completely a very awful. Completely powerful, awful. Posh prick. But I
2: mean, he does say things like. Um, you make all of the like world decisions there. Why do you, you know, why do you think people think that? And he goes, "If you could see how difficult it is to create a meeting like this, yeah. you would never credit us." <laughs> the
3: practicality, yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> you, the
2: public would never credit us with such a thing.
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, but then he does say, you know, obviously we do, you know, discussions are had at the breakfast table, and and you, yeah, we'll but get it, on to the general.
3: Well, well, about so, it. Yeah, so I mean, I suppose the interesting thing about this episode is that there's two sides to it. There's the side where John Ronson himself finds himself going down the conspiracy. Round the yeah. whole bit because he he finds out that this Bilderberg group is actually real. Yeah, he finds out that there's definitely very powerful people that yeah. have secretly come and met in a hotel yeah. that nobody then knows he's being about. Followed. He's being followed. So there's that side of it, um, and obviously this guy big big Jim Tucker is very much on board with the conspiracy oh, gosh, yeah. side of things, and he's also by the way a complete arsehole. Oh, and an anti-Semite. An Anti-Semite, and the spotlight. It, it's only later that John Ronson realised the spotlight is like. A proper racist.
2: It's the leading uh, anti-Semitic. Semitic well, so
3: that's something. Or so, right-wing right. leaning. So we spoke about the ADL a I little mean, bit yeah. last episode. <clears throat> he goes back to the ADL, who are the Anti-Defamation League, which are a Jewish group who are more or less set up to spot anti-Semitic people. Yeah. Now the spotlight is unquestionably an anti-Semitic. It's definitely
2: and it's very. definitely right-wing. And there's a,
3: there's a lot of Holocaust denial in it. There's yeah. a lot of. It's a really dodgy paper, unquestionably, no doubt and they and they do say that but it is quite interesting the bit that i found quite interesting about the adl was when he asked throughout the uh, previous episodes yeah. the adl are very much used by conspiracy theorists to say if you get too close to the truth the adl immediately say that you're an anti-semite and that's the and worst th- thing, you the worst thing that you can say and therefore yeah. you get completely wiped out of history and no one will listen to you anymore mm. and david Icke says this yeah and we had a conversation about and this so on the does, last episode um,
2: the ex-police officer yeah. that goes up to Ruby Ridge, who's like leading police against the New World Order or something.
3: But we had a discussion about this on the last episode, so I won't go into it too yeah. much. Um, but I feel like we probably do need to uh, say this. One of the things with David Icke is he was being called an anti-Semite. But really, I think the episode and and more or less everything that I know about David Icke kinda of shows that actually he's not really an anti Semite, he's just a lunatic. Yeah. He generally he so ADL are believe that when he says nine foot lizards, he means Jewish people, but actually in reality, I'm pretty sure he just means lizards. And if he didn't, his anti semitism would be completely pointless because it's so cloaked in words that people don't realise are yeah. anti Semitic and don't appear to be anti Semitic in any way. Yeah. Um so, anyway, so with that in mind, so that, this is one of the things that the conspiracy theor- theorists say a lot, and one of the things I found interesting about this episode is that when John Ronson asked the ADL what they think of the Bilderberg group, the, the same person who throughout the entire series, has been saying, "No, this person's anti Semitic, no this but no, they use codes, they use this they, when they say these words, they mm. mean this." immediately start saying, oh, the Bilderberg Group are an amazing but she were doing excellent work. Yeah. But the interesting thing that I found is that she said, well, a lot of people have made up um, conspiracy theories about these people, but all they really are are financiers and industrialists who meet together and try and make the world go round, more or less. And the interesting thing that I found yeah. about that is in the previous episode, everybody that's used the term financiers or industrialists, they have been, said. they've said that's code for, yeah. for Jewish people. This and I did Find that quite interesting. They never really they've never really discussed that on the programme. Yeah, no, it was true. it was a weird little thing whereby the same words that throughout this entire series they've been saying these are code words. And of course she's not being anti-Semitic, I'm not suggesting that. No, but it's just interesting that the same that the same words are being used. It's yeah. like she said the exact same words as Jim Tucker said about the Bilderberg group like literally used the same phrases but they're the phrases that she was saying he was being anti-Semite I just thought that was really interesting interesting. so then John Ronson um, the second part of the episode having kind of got sucked into all of this conspiracy then gets the minutes from the meeting Mm. and meets with a couple including Dennis Healy who is a very elderly awful very posh conservative man who in fairness is quite fun in this episode. Fun? <laughs> I, mean, but he's so, I definitely hate so him. So but...
2: awful. <laughs> he does kind of agree that they might be part of a conspiracy.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, he's he, just he, like yeah.
2: it wouldn't like he gets asked if um do you think it's uh, reasonable that people think that you're all getting together and making decisions about the world and that that's a that's part of a conspiracy and he's kind of like well yeah well in a way i guess we do do that yeah and and he says well that's
3: the that's just the way the world goes around and in some respect the thing the the interesting thing i found about it is that there's the two sides to this thing on the one hand there's the conspiracy theory that you can kind of see why someone would have a conspiracy theory and to some extent you you yourself get a little bit caught up in that idea and it's the same with bohemian grove But on the other hand, when you actually see the reality of the thing that happened... Yeah. um, So he gets the minutes from uh, this meeting, that year's meeting. And he
2: doesn't say the source, just someone on a bike delivers them to him one day. But he
3: gives them to Big Jim Tucker (laughs) to read through. And he says the thing is with the minutes is they're really just like a boring bunch of meetings where yes people are talking about the way the world's run and they are kind of making connections with each other but it's really dull what they're talking about isn't in any way like it's not dramatic at all but of course being big Jim Tucker reads through this and says well I feel vindicated this just proves everything that I've ever said. Yeah. And John Ronson's more or less saying, "Well, actually, no. It does. It doesn't, proves exactly that what yeah. you've been saying is wrong. Yeah. But it's interesting that you can take it that way. Also, and it's just I just find it interesting that the conspiracy, when you actually really break it down into what it actually really is, is genuinely this is something Denis Ely is right about. It is just how the world works. Yeah. It's not how any of us want the world to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a but it's how capitalism works. It's how yeah. corporate entities. Deal with each other, and we we all say corporations are paying MPs so that they get what they want, and we all know that they're doing that. There's no conspiracy about that, that's no one's Mm. pretending that isn't happening Mm. or isn't going on. But these are just the places that that's happening, and in a way, I think that Bohemian Grove is just one of the places, as weird as it is, and as much as there's an owl god. It is still just like, it is just kind of capitalism, isn't it?
2: Well, something that I think, I've got it written down as a quote, and I think it must be John Lawson that says it at the end... Um, or maybe he's quoting someone else, it says, maybe nothing but the flow of money controls the world and that no one controls anything.
3: Yes, that's exactly. So and maybe, I kind of
2: think maybe, maybe that <coughs> links to what you just said, yeah. that actually, we like to believe that it's this group of people that are very deliberately running things. Mm. But actually, like you say, it's, it's the flow of capitalism and... Th- yes, all these horrible decisions get made and it does look very sinister, but that's kind of the world that we're in now. Capitalism works that way. It only works that way.
3: Well, they, I think there's that, but there's also another side to that, which is that in a funny sort of way, we see these people coming up with conspiracy theories as kind of the extreme ones. Mm. Actually, they're just desperate for someone to be in charge in yeah. a way. Yeah. It's like which is what you just said really it would make is an answer that, for all. yeah it's, there isn't actually an answer it's just chaos we just live in this completely complete load of chaos certain people are in power but they're not really controlling as much mm. as you think that they are and in reality conspiracy theories are almost in a funny sort of way they're desperately trying to say well there's
2: there must be a reason. there must
3: be like as, you know what do they say um uh, the everyone. people that rule the world could sit around one big table yeah. or whatever it is it's like, well, actually, no, that's not true. In no. reality, no one's running the world. Yeah. We're just on a train that's like, at any time, could yeah. just fall off the rails. Exactly. And, and it's quite interesting because if you think about the way that conspiracies are used, particularly mm. you know, bringing things up to date, um, mm. yes, we all look at people that have conspiracy theories about COVID and think, oh, you're being stupid. Mm. But actually, those are the people that are most scared of COVID. Because if, if COVID was yeah. real, is real, yeah. of course it is real, it, it, but in their head, if COVID is real, that means that no one's in control. Mm. No one's giving people that. You know, China isn't really giving people exactly. an illness. It's just an illness just because we live on, we on a can't... planet that. Uh, you know, if it's like yeah, environmental disasters. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, people that don't believe in climate change. In reality, climate change is real, and that's scary as fuck. And it's get, much yeah. easier. It's much easier to like believe that it's not real because otherwise you know, we, we might turn into a fireball at any minute.
2: Exactly. No, I think <laughs> that's it's a completely conspiracy right. conspiracy
3: theory that I just came up with. <laughs> the the fireball at any minute conspiracy. The fireball <laughs> at
2: any minute. I mean, to sum up my kind of thoughts on the series, I think it's really interesting that that's probably the end thoughts, and definitely how I feel at the end of these two episodes. But I must say, you do get drawn into it on the first few, especially Ruby Mm. Ridge, because whilst there isn't any big organisation that's running the world, within it, there are awful organisations that are definitely covering up nasty things that they're doing and doing awful things like ruby ridge like the cia and, and the like fbi the, like
3: the police yeah in the in well in the, in the history but in but recently yeah all exactly. of those things like, there's so much evidence of that.
2: i wish that there would be a better way of using conspiracy theorists time because they jump to the big crazy things <laughs> and actually there are awful things there are police cover-ups there are horrible people in charge and doing things that are getting avoided <clears throat> And maybe because some of these crazy people do point to the bigger things. People like Trump do point to like the crazy, look what could be happening in the world, horribleness. Because that's easier than, and it it detracts attention from, look at what some of the people who are very much influential in the world, directly affecting you and I's livelihoods, Mm. deflect from them, deflect from all of this awfulness. Because it's far more interesting and uh, more scary to go, oh, look, COVID's this. Oh, look, nanobots yeah. in your vaccines. Oh, there's a oh, giant Algod.
3: god. Yeah, oh, look, yeah. an Algod, god, <laughs> and
2: all these scary people that rule the world from one room. But actually, there's bigger, scarier things that are one step closer to us that yeah. um, those people would rather you didn't think about. Um, which, I, I, it's hard not to sound like a conspiracy theorist yourself, because when you say, those people, there are still scary <laughs> people in the world. But there are very, like you say, there's legit cover-ups that probably are happening that have almost been proven, mm. or at least, or at least as too questionable to ignore, uh, like Ruby Ridge, like Waco, like um, bits I, of the Oklahoma. Bombing. But I do,
3: I do think that those things fit into that same thing where it's actually just chaos. The reason yeah. that Ruby Ridge happened isn't really a conspiracy. It's just that a load of human beings totally fucked up yeah. and didn't really give a shit about that and yeah. thought they could get away with anything. Yeah. And it, it's like all human error. It's not really that someone's sitting there saying exactly. we should do this. But, it's not a
2: conspiracy, but it is covering up of awfulness.
3: Going back to what you were saying, I think that one of the things that jumps into my head a lot, um, I watched a movie about flat earthers. I think maybe we were. Yes! So oh. we, watched, we watched a movie about flat earthers, and one of the things about the move, that movie was that it showed all the flat earthers and they mm. were doing all of their nonsense and they were talking about all of their nonsense and everything. And, and what the film did, I'm sure a few people have seen this, I think it was on Netflix is that it had a lot of um, scientists who were mm. also you know, just in despair because they were being yeah. told the theories of these flat earthers and they were just in complete despair and they were sort of taking the piss out of them. And obviously the film was made to pretty much take the piss out of them, yeah. as it should be, completely, no. and exactly how I felt throughout the whole film. Yeah. And then right at the very end they interviewed one scientist and he made this really good point and, it, and, I, and I think it's quite interesting in this context as well. Yeah. And the point that he made was there's some really talented people that believe in flat earth Mm. that are desperately attempting to do really interesting scientific work to prove their theory. And the Mm. only problem for them is that their theory is wrong. And the problem is that we in the scientific community laugh at these people because they believe that the Earth is flat and it's so obviously not. Mm. But what we should be doing is engaging with them and actually finding their strengths. Because he was saying, like, some of the things that they're doing, yes... What they're aiming to do is completely absurd and completely ludicrous. But their minds are really... We should be getting them into the mm. scientific fold yeah. and getting them to be doing these things. And in some respects, I look at some conspiracy theories and I think the same thing. Yeah. A lot of them are very dislikable. And yeah. there's a lot of racists un- involved un- and there's well. a lot of Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. But someone like David Icke, who is unquestionably unwell, you can't say that his mind doesn't work... In a way that he's definitely like—he's
2: a very good talker—and
3: the same with Alex Jones. They're both people that have managed to get millions and millions and millions of people to believe yeah. them and listen to them. If those people Could be sensible, yeah. <laughs> and if—and I don't know—I mean, I don't know what you do with that because you couldn't like talk Alex Jones around to no. to anything, and or or David Icke for that. Oh no, mind.
2: his delusion but disorders it, too.
3: But it is quite an interesting thing where you just what what we tend to do and what I do 100 percent is just laugh. Yeah. and just find these people ludicrous. But actually, the way their brains work is quite interesting. The things that they come up with is, is all wrong, but it's interesting, it's interestingly wrong. That's so one of the things I love about these conspiracy theories is not that I believe in a single one of them, I don't really believe in anything full stop, but I fucking love them because mm. they're mad as fuck mm-hmm. and these people have come up with these brilliant stories to explain away these what turn out to be and, and just to sort of conclude these two programmes. Both of them, the actual reality seems to be much duller
0: yeah,
3: than the the incredible reality that the conspiracy theorists have come up with. I feel like they should just write like fantasy books or something, and <laughs> I'd love to read them. So I think that's probably it for The Secret Rules of the World. Um, I hope that what didn't go on too long. Obviously, we, we weren't really sure whether doing a, one subject over the course of two weeks was a bit much or not, really, but we thought we'd give it a go, and this just seemed like a very big one. I think we might do more John Ronson in the future, although we'll leave it a while now. But... Um, his book, uh, The Men Who Stare at Goats, and he did a similar programme, which is called The Crazy Rulers of the World, um, are both really good. So we might do something similar um, in the future. But for now, I think we're going to play a song.
2: Yes, let's do it.
3: This song is by Top Left Club, who are a new band from Brighton. Uh, it's more or less half of them are from Rotten Foxes and the other half are Skinny Milk. Two amazing bands. Indeed. <laughs> And, this, and another amazing band that they've made yeah. um, they've got a new album that's just come out called Shoulders at 90 it's on uh, Beast Records uh, we actually at Toxic What's It we've we've just got a bunch of them in so if you want to buy them, buy them from us don't buy them from them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you should definitely check out Top Left Club they're playing What's It Cool Fest and this is No Control <laughs>
2: episode's Film for Review is Two-Headed Shark Attack from 2012.
1: look like co-ed's gone crazy. You're still college students, Laura. Can't change that. I told you this semester would offer you educational opportunities beyond your wildest expectations. (sighs) First group, let's go. Spread out, but stay in this area. Cannibals. Better safe than dinner, Professor. All right, who's getting nude first? This
2: is more of what you had in mind.
1: But... <laughs> this is exactly what I had in mind.
2: <laughs> Run. So, essentially, this film, in short, there's a school trip of teenagers that are on a boat. Some well, of the teenagers
3: some... are quite elderly.
2: Well, Oh, yeah, and it's for some nondescript subject that's never really discussed. They're with their professor and his maybe wife. No, that's never really discussed. <laughs> um, and basically, a shark hits the boat, causing a hole in the boat, so they get abandoned on an island. But the f- island starts flooding, apparently.
3: Or sinking? Or, well, flooding, sinking.
2: sinking, who knows? Whilst the boat is sunk by a mutated two headed shark. And it's about how are they going to be safe from this monster and get out of it safely. I mean, that's
3: oh, basically describing it. And then, they, and then it. they fuck about on the island and the sharks sort of <laughs> the attacks.
2: The, the essential, what happens in this film is it's just tearing and throwing from a boat that may or may not be sinking. And they're, just keep getting attacked by this two-headed shark until pretty much all of them are dead apart from a couple.
3: And the two-headed of... shark is extremely CGI. Oh,
2: it's very good. Well, <laughs> it ranges from being CGI to oh, um, really close-up paper mache, which is amazing. <laughs> but um, some of the one of the survivors is Brooke Hogan, Hulk Hogan's daughter, <laughs> in this amazing uh, feat of acting. Um, Carmen Electra is a doctor... Professor she's, she's, runs the boat, yeah, she's but essentially like she just wears a bikini well. and writhes around quite a lot. And wow. turns out is married to the professor who's leading this um, the trip, but that's never clear until very much when they meet their demise.
3: I think they could only afford Carmen Electra for like two days worth of filming, or yeah. Something. So they just said, "Sunbathe and we'll film you.
2: Sunbathe and, and then ride. Like, say
3: these five lines, and we'll just work out a way.
2: Of yeah, it. and um, then." We'll, at last minute, we'll decide that you're actually with him. It's only when I read their um, character names in the credits that I realised that they were married. Who knew? I didn't. They, I don't there's think that's no very
3: important to the plot. No, but there's <laughs> there's
2: no like emotional connection between any of these characters, and at no point is there any really good storyline. Um, so we're selling it really well.
3: I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's fucking dreadful.
2: This is horrendous film.
3: It's um. So I, I suppose um. I presume this was after Sharknado which is kind of the famous version of this film, but it's actually pre-Sharknado. so is um, it? So there's loads of these movies, and I'm sure everybody listening must have watched at least one of them. And just, we wanted to do this film partly because we thought, the very first episode of this podcast, we did that film um, Snake Out of Compton. Oh yeah. Uh, we felt like we'd gone down a little bit of a hole of just finding weird and wonderful eighties films and stuff like that, and we thought that this would be not similar in any way, but just it was. I think they might be made by the same company, and if they're not, they're made in similar ways. Terrible CGI monster, yeah, and just kind of really cheaply made and thrown out there, but but kind of vaguely modern, although. Actually, it turns out this is older than I I thought it was until we started watching. But they were all churned out on sci-fi, these things, and all of them have the same sort of look. They're all kind of... I mean, the budget couldn't have been, like, microscopic. You know, they've got quite a few actors and stuff, and in comparison to last episode's neil breen film <laughs> what kept what kept what i kept thinking which about,
2: i hope you've all watched by the way it's on <laughs> youtube it's you'll you'll never regret it the
3: two the, they filmed they kind of look vaguely similar in as much as i imagine they use the same digital camera which is but... probably like a mid mid-range one but this one is like definitely edited better probably you know like the cgi is probably better even though it's really terrible the acting is better. The script is actually a script to some extent, although nothing really happens and it's not very good. But it is infinitely more boring than the Neil Breen film that yeah. we watched last time. Like, there's it, just no. I would rather watch a million Neil Breen films uh-huh. than Two-headed Shark. Well,
2: attack. I I think there's some uh, similarities in their continuities and discrepancies because <laughs> there's a scene where um, there's a boy with two girls and they're making their way into the waters. So you kind of get the feeling that impending doom is coming. It's a bit like. Uh, director of the park like oh I hear a dinosaur Meow. now you've been eaten by the dinosaur <laughs> I'm walking towards the water oh look a shark's probably going to kill me and um, he goes oh who's getting news first and then immediately it just cuts to blood Oh, like yeah. there's, there's no like.
3: I wonder whether that was a cut because because so we watch this is um, on YouTube like the whole film yeah. is on YouTube. I wonder whether that's like a TV edit or something where they cut. out.
2: I think that I might mean, have been the... the only bit where there were some boobs because oh, yeah. as long as there is a lot of people um, in their like bikinis and you do think it's just going to be relying on some. I mean, it relies on sexual innuendos and sexual jokes. Not even innuendos, just straight up do you want to fuck sort of, like, oh, lines. I mean, the whole film... So I imagine yeah. they cut... Like, the one we watched is probably the cut version. But they didn't cut it very well, and to be honest, I didn't think... Only now do I realise it probably wasn't the film, because the film was so badly made that I just thought it was part of the film. They cut ev- straight to ev-
3: blood. Everybody is, everybody is uh, terrible at acting. Yeah. All the words that they say are absolutely terrible. The music is utter... Utter dog shit.
2: Well, I think it made it difficult to age because I definitely, with all the music being so weirdly horribly new metal, I definitely thought this was going to be like two thousand and well, two, two thousand and three, but it's not two thousand and twelve. All... Yeah, but
3: it's not all new metal, is it? I mean, you're you're totally right, but it's like there's one of it, it's almost like really terrible versions of. All the terrible genres that were big 10 years before 2012. Because there's like a sort of rock, country, and western song yeah. that we thought might have been sung by Brooke Hogan, but wasn't. Oh, yeah. But could yeah. Have been. I mean, none of these things were, in the credits, none of them are. Uh, they sound like bands, but they're all just like one person. So it's obviously just. I I looked up one of
2: the bands and the picture that came up was of a very, it looked like Savage Garden with a shitloads of facial surgery, like is really a thing and they're still playing. I can't remember what it was. I think it's called Closer Than Venus. Look them up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I looked at one picture and was like, oh my, holy fuck. Like Mm, I can totally understand why they made
3: the music for this film. But, you know, it's like, I think it's probably supposed to be mildly comedic but uh, the jokes that aren't jokes oh. like they but you really wouldn't even know that they that
2: they no one's haven't. acting or no. capable of acting I'm pretty
3: sure that so the CGI shark which has does have two heads? I yeah, very much.
2: I mean it, is, um, it lives up to what it says.
3: It does seem to change size a lot. Yeah, so and
2: change speed of as, swimming. Yeah,
3: <laughs> well, also the distance. So, so really, that any drama, it, there's no drama in this film, but any drama is supposed to come from the fact that at all times, some of the people are on a boat which is broken down and they and can't move anywhere. Yeah, and some of the people are on an island which
2: maybe sinking, maybe
3: sinking. And I'm fairly sure I I don't know if I'm right about this because I pray that I can't be. But I'm pretty sure that what happens at some point in the film is the shark headbutts the island, (laughs) and then the island... And then
2: it starts sinking.
3: And I'm pretty sure at some point the shark swims underneath the island. Well,
2: they call it an atoll
3: rather than an island quite a lot, and that's a big
2: joke for some reason. is it? Is it? Well, they keep saying it's oh, an island. I mean, the atoll. I don't fucking know. But so they try make a joke maybe about an that. atoll
3: scientifically is, is, is It's an maybe? island that just floats on on the Fuck on knows. the water. I feel like because that's that's kind of how it's presented. They keep almost they like, do
2: focus on that quite a lot yeah, for well, no me, reason.
3: Maybe that's me being dumb. No, I don't um, think so. But <laughs> the but the weird thing. So that's all the drama. And there's yeah. like little boats that they seem to have different numbers of small boats. Oh, at any one time, and they find some, and yeah. they fix some, and they look a
2: dinghy. Oh, I'm
3: eating. Yeah. Sometimes it's really scary to go in the boats but sometimes they just appear the movement from boat to island. They've just done it and there's no drama involved in that. Oh yeah. And like, sometimes it's a massive drama yeah, that they that they might well, get in by the shot. There,
2: there's one- where um the whole point is that they're stuck on the island and they can't get to the boat out at sea because this shark just keeps getting them and the professors are all on the boat at sea and they're like, Gosh, they can't they can't keep coming to us, they keep getting eaten. The next scene, the professors have gotten on a boat and they're on the island. Yeah. No drama whatsoever.
3: No. <laughs> but also the but the distance between all of those things seems to change. So sometimes <laughs> people can quite easily swim between the island and the boat. Yeah. And then sometimes it looks like it's about two miles out to sea. (laughs) And then, like, there's one point where between the island and the big boat, they have like a race. Yeah. And the idea of that is that they don't realize that there's a shark, and everyone on the island is shouting, Oh, there's a shark, but they're just enjoying themselves and having a race. But it's like, at other times, it's only about 20 meters. So I don't (laughs) know where the fuck they're having the race in between boat and island. It's very strange. It's. It's all, I mean, I think that the the trick photography that they use is more or less that they probably film the whole thing on a beach.
0: Yeah. And so
3: when they want to look like they're in the middle of the sea, they just point the camera that way. And otherwise they don't. There's three things I enjoyed about this. Uh, my favorite thing is that at one point they're deciding who's going to, uh, drive the boat because they think that it's going to get eaten by a shark. And there's a couple of Spanish guys in it or Mexican guys. And, um, there's a weird thing with their... They, they're they always speaking in Spanish. Yeah. But they seem to understand English.
2: Yeah. And Carmen so Electra they, definitely understands them.
3: But Carmen Electra talks back to them in English. Yeah. So there's this weird thing, and I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke, is that the Spanish guys always speak to people who are supposedly speak English in Spanish, but they understand them and they yeah. respond in English and then they have a conversation that mm-hmm. way, which doesn't seem to make any sense. No. Anyway... My favourite bit is that at one point one of them says to the other one something in Spanish, and the and the subtitle at the bottom just comes up "Send the stupid moron," <laughs> <laughs> which I quite I quite enjoyed that. Aye, aye, aye. The other thing that I quite enjoy is that everybody runs away from things. So it's weird, so weird that they're on an island or whatever, and a toll, and there's points where they're running away from a two headed shark, which is presumably in the water. Yeah. But they're they're just on land and they're running away in fear. Anyway, when they run away in fear, they have to run really slowly because they're all wearing flip flops, <laughs> and so they're all really awkwardly running. I quite like that. And the only other thing that I like is that the in the credits, the shark model's name is Ken Brilliant.
2: Oh, Ken Brilliant! That was his like life's work. There it goes.
3: Uh, oh, and the shark, who can apparently almost destroy an island and make it have an earthquake, gets stuck in a small rickety door. Oh yeah,
2: of course he does. I
3: can't get out. That's a bit weird.
2: Yeah, it gets stuck. This
3: film is absolutely terrible.
2: So (laughs) I don't usually care for user reviews, but the user review on IMDb that is at the top pretty much sums it up. There are many gory deaths, but the majority of effects are done on a computer and I felt like I was watching somebody playing The Sims at various times. Which I definitely (laughs) think is is true. The amount of continuity errors and dumb decisions made on the part of the cast is unbelievable. I think the whole randomly sinking a toll part of the story was the most jaw-dropping. In any case, this is a real stinker. Yeah. Still gave it 3 out of 10.
3: Oh, well, I'm not going to be that. Yeah.
2: There's some films where you think, especially like going back to Snake Out of Compton, you're like, God, this is so terrible, but there was some enjoyment to be had. I was going to
3: say, there was charm to it.
2: Whereas this is truly charmless. It's really crap. Um, uh, I really wanted is, to watch a shit film, but this, yeah, was, this was just beyond was your shit. Fault.
3: Brooke Hogan is t- absolutely terrible. Did she ever make it? I know she had a music I mean, you say
2: absolutely terrible. She is TV. probably the best actress in this by default.
3: Maybe. But oh, acting. All right, fine. But she was also the only one I've ever heard of, apart from Carmen Electra But.
2: I mean, Carmen Electra really poo pooed this. She was rubbish. Oh, she,
3: yeah, but I don't think she was ever really an actress, was she? Yeah, true. She, well, she not in Showgirls. But yeah, I thought Brooke Hogan was absolutely dreadful. I don't really know, I only know her as being Hulk Hogan's daughter. Did oh, you?
2: I watched Hogan Knows Best, so I've seen quite a lot of her when was she was I? 16. I was oh, the reality What? Patient. You never watched Hogan Knows Best?
3: No, no. I mean,
2: no one should now, being that, like, he's come out to be the most horrible racist. Horrible sex offending, fuck knows what. Well, he is. also he
3: had that long. There was a documentary where he had a long discussion about his penis being a different size to Hulk Hogan's penis in court. His
2: pe- Hulk Hogan had a discussion about his penis being. You told me to... about
3: this, so you know there was a sex tape, and he sued the people that released the sex tape. One of the reasons that he sued the the place that released the sex tape, yeah, was that it ruined his character because Hulk Hogan's penis was much big is much bigger and so his fans all saw that his penis was smaller than Hulk Hogan's penis.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So
3: I'm interested to know whether Brooke Hogan was created by Hulk Hogan's penis or Terry Balia's penis. Oh,
2: well, well, I don't know. <laughs>
3: by the He's amount got... Of by the amount of charisma she's got, I imagine Terry believes
2: she's definitely got the uh, um, facial surgery of her mother. Oh, so, really?
3: Mm, mm. I've seen a picture of her mother. I
2: You've think. never watched Hogan Knows Best? No. Oh I don't think gosh, I've you were born at a, a different time to me. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a horrible. It was one of the like early reality TV shows that were shown on MTV after The Osborns. So um, yeah. No, bad. I didn't
3: watch The Osborns either. Oh,
2: all bad. Anyway, let's get off this uh, terrible film. Well, just to
3: say, Two-Headed Shark Attack was made by this group called The Asylum. And, I, and, and The Asylum mostly were known for making like knockoff versions. That's why I thought Snake Out of Compton was probably made by them, but I don't think, no, I don't think it was. No, it's better than that. But The Asylum just make this sort of horseshit, and they, were, they made Sharknado. And this film must have had some degree of success. From the, I imagine it was just shown on the TV but the reason I say that is because there's four sequels you are kidding no there's a three headed shark they eat they add, oh they just they add I a like, head each you know, time add a head each time I really quite like oh, that
2: oh god! so okay. there's a
3: three headed shark attack made in 2015 and that one's got Danny Trejo no and Rob Van Dam <gasps> oh you know? One. but then f- for some reason they skip the four-headed shark attack because they made two more the five-headed shark attack and the six-headed shark attack and they're planning a seven seven headed shark. Attack. but i don't know why didn't they make a four-headed shark attack what was wrong with four heads? full skin oh
2: uh, yeah i no, was just like have <laughs> you <laughs> have you said something no
3: so, Aww. yeah, I mean, it hasn't made me feel... I've, I've watched a couple of Asylum films in the past and I've always kind of found them vaguely entertaining
2: yeah. in that
3: same way. But I, this was made at a very bad time. I mean, like you say, it's surprising that it was 2012 because it appears to be a film that was made dark in, earlier. like, 2001 or two. But it <sighs> yeah. is dreadful. I
2: don't feel like my thirst for a kind of enjoyable shit film was quenched. Um, we need to ashamed. go back
3: to Breen. I agree. So, <laughs> what um what score do you want to give? Oh God, a solid
2: zero. Actually, I mean, IMDb gives it a two point five. That's being that's probably the lowest rated film I've watched for a long time. I think that you I, searched
3: lowest rated film. No, I really of, didn't. That's how you found this film.
2: I think I I looked up like bad, like worst worst films films of the like, and then just picked a year. Yeah. And I don't know how I ended up on this. But yeah. This
3: was the worst film of 2012. I don't
2: know if it was. I don't think it was. Well, who knows? No, I got absolutely nothing from this. Zero. Rubbish film.
3: Yeah, I'm giving it a zero as well.
2: Yeah, it's a shame.
3: That might be juice.
2: Anyway, I think
3: the least said about it, the better. It is on YouTube. I'll put it on the playlist. But don't fucking watch it. So (laughs) I'm going to play an old song now. Uh, this is by an old band from Vancouver called Submission Hold. Uh, they're from the sort of late 90s, very early noughties, I think. Uh, this is from an album called Sackcloth and Ashes, The Ostrich Dies on Monday.
0: Which what? I think is a really
3: fucking <laughs> great name for That's an album. It's amazing. Um, it came out back in the day on Ebullition, uh, but they did have a couple of releases on a UK label called Flat Earth. This is a fucking great band. They were a really strange sounding band. It's like a bit of a crusty kind of hardcore band, but they had like flutes and trumpets and all sorts of weird shit going on in the background. This is, I think, my favourite song of theirs. I found it quite difficult to pick which one really encapsulated their sound and they're all so batshit crazy that it was really difficult to find one. But I'd really suggest listening to them. Uh, But this song is called Tuesday Evening at the Dinner Table. So here it is. This is Submission Hold.
2: Episode of Breakfast Pants podcast. We've come to the end now. Be sure to follow us on all of the social medias and stuff. We don't have all of the social media. Actually, we do only have Instagram. Please follow us on Instagram (laughs) and subscribe to our YouTube channel because um, Dave puts a lovely playlist together of all of the stuff mentioned. Um, The Secret Rules of the World episodes will be on there. The wonderful two-headed shark attack will be on there. (laughs) So you know, there's lots to lots to drink in there. (laughs) So yeah, and be sure to email us with any feedback or anything you think should be mentioned or if we should look into or shout-outs or anything. Mm shamcityroasters at gmail.com is the best way to get in contact or you can message us on uh, Breakfast Punk's podcast Instagram.
3: And if this is the first time that you've listened to us uh, thank you and welcome but go back and listen to our other episodes. Um, uh, we're getting a few now. We're up to 12. I, I know. I'm not sure that we realised it was going to go on this long. This
2: but... is crazy. I said to someone this morning um, at the gym that oh yeah I'm recording the podcast later today. She's like are you still doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah.
3: yeah. I think maybe people have forgotten
2: about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah we are still That's doing it.
3: The ship down the fucking drone, oh it? stop it
2: <laughs> but you know it's good uh, good for us to keep doing this and yeah. if you've got so, you know we're the, uh, part of the reason we're doing this is to like learn about other stuff and to kind of like widen our experience of the world have so, two
3: headed shark attack definitely I mean yeah that.
2: fuck yeah <laughs> but if you've got any recommendations for stuff to look into or films to watch or anything like that Please let us know, because we love learning new shit, and mm-hmm. that's the whole point of this. Yeah,
3: um, and and yeah, just generally thanks for listening. We really appreciate
2: exactly. it. Exactly, we love you all. Thank you.
3: We will be back in two weeks' time. I think we can say that with some certainty now. I know, now. We, it's weird, a, isn't it? We're on a bit of a roll. So every other Thursday,
2: every other this
3: thing appears yep. on Spotify and YouTube.
2: And various other uh, places where we're usually listening. Where are we listening to it now? I'm sure you can hear it there again.
3: And if you want to really help us out, you could help us out by um, sharing us on your social medias generally. Share us on Facebook and things like that. Uh, Also, if you're if you're listening to this on like iTunes, I don't think you can do it on Spotify. But if you fancy giving us a review or like just like clicking Ooh, five stars I didn't know you could do that I think that helps that's Ooh, my understanding don't i like being uh, judged <laughs> no you don't have to say anything if you want and you can be honest but I think that helps us get more listenerships if we get a few uh, a few ratings
2: all about the listenerships so, yeah, we'll wrap that up with a final song for our episode. This song is from Vampire Slumber Party, and the song is called Northern Lights. Vampire Slumber Party is a one-person band. It's Yusuf from South London. This is the second single from the upcoming new album Funeral Pop. And, yeah, it's a, it's a little uh, party banger.
3: It's so dope,
2: yeah. give it a little listen. Uh, dance away in your... wherever you're listening to this. I hope it's your lounge. But if you're outside, do a really big dance.
3: Big dance, Uh, particularly if you're outside in a public place. If you're on a train,
2: if you're you have to dance, yeah.
3: If you you have to dance,
2: if you've got space for a cartwheel, do one right now. When one arm, ideally, one arm, one arm cartwheel. I can do one, can you? Yeah,
3: Yeah, good for you. I'll do one now. I can't do a two arm cartwheel.
2: Uh, me and David are going to do cartwheels in our lounge to this song, Do You Should Need to Do a Cartwheel Wherever You Are.
3: So if there's never another episode of Breakfast response Podcast, you know. it's because one of us or both of us is dead from go. doing a cartwheel and landing on our head.
2: So there we go, guys. So with that uh, in mind,
3: we'll see you in two weeks. Time, <laughs> see possibly. You in two
2: weeks, maybe. <laughs> this is Vampire Slumber Party with Northern Lights. Bye. Bye.